Friday, you bastard. Well, I'm Jerry Falwell, I'm the right hand of God. And when I woke up today, I put my TV on, and instead of Kathy Lee or CNN, I saw a purple creature with a gay sign on his head. It was an upside-down triangle purple tinky-winky. Upside-down triangle purple tinky-winky. Upside-down triangle purple tinky-winky. Hey, tell it to me. Well, just when I thought things couldn't get worse, I noticed he was carrying a little purse. Now, how? How can they call this a children's show? I may be purple, but I have a brown hole. He has an upside-down triangle purple pinky-winky. Upside-down triangle purple pinky-winky. I'd love to drain your ball. Gay purple pinky-winky. Gay Teletubby. Well, most devout Christian find it hard to believe, but on the Teletubby's tummy is a TV screen. It had a purple penis pointing straight at me. That was blowing a noise through the hole in the thing. He may not be good, but he's oh, consistent. Exactly. 902 at 560 WQAM. Falwell says Mohammed, a terrorist. And by the way, the audience really let us down yesterday. Not only didn't they come up with a name, I still can't remember his name, of the former Ohio congressman with the um, dead brown mouse on his head. Right. But they also didn't alert us to the fact that there was that great frontline show on last night on PBS. Oh, I know. And I could, I could be wrong. Maybe I blew it because see, little Tommy Jicka there in the Sun Sentinel's written 42,000 articles in the last two or three weeks all about, about each one of the new, um, fall TV shows. Right. Not about anything else. And then of course I got blinded by that cooking show schedule yesterday morning. <laughs> I don't, but I don't think he had this thing on there early and then they must have put it on later. PBS Profiles Man Who Knew About Terrorists. It was on last night on PBS, on Channel 2 and 17 and 40, whatever it was, 42. Mm -hmm. And what a show. And I taped it. I haven't watched all of it yet, but about uh, John O'Neill, which we've talked about, FBI agent John O'Neill, who was the one guy that uh, was onto Al-Qaeda and bin Laden for years. And, of course, the FBI didn't like his altitude, and they gave him, like, all kinds of crap and finally forced him out. And then he took that job at the World Trade Center and uh, bad timing. First day was on 9-11. At any rate, Falwell says... Islam's founder and most sacred figure, Mohammed, is a terrorist. This man just can't keep his foot out of his mouth. In a 60 Minutes interview with CBS News correspondent Bob Simon, Falwell also affirms the Christian right's steadfast support for the state of Israel against its Islamic enemies and hints that right-wing religious groups are influencing U.S. government policy toward Israel. Oi! Right-wing Christians believe the turmoil in the Middle East is a harbinger of the second coming of Christ. How do you like that? I knew that. The interview, well, we all knew that, but it's just, just to put it into words, just to verbalize it is enough to make you gag. The interview with Falwell will be broadcast on 60 Minutes this Sunday. It says it's 7 p.m., but basically what that means is after the football games are all over. Right. Whenever they get around to starting it. No, but actually that's good, because if some weeks you forget 60 Minutes is on, you know, because 7 is kind of early. So then all of a sudden it's like 7.20 and you say, oh, I better go over to CBS, and then, of course, uh, there it is. I think Mohammed was a terrorist. I read enough by both Muslims and non-Muslims to decide that he was a violent man, a man of war, Falwell tells Simon. In my opinion, he did Moses. Jesus and I think, Christ. And I think Mohammed set an opposite example. Yeah, Moses was a good peace-loving man. <laughs> a slaughterer, a baby murderer, a virgin raper. I think he was as mad as Moses myself. I think Jerry Falwell's as mad as Moses. When President Bush urged Israel to remove its forces from Palestinian towns earlier this year, Falwell sent him a personal protest and the White House received 100,000 email protests from Christians. 
Falwell says he believes Bush is well aware of the Christian constituency. There are 70 million of us, and there's nothing that would bring the wrath of the Christian public on this country down on this government like abandoning or opposing Israel on a critical matter, he says. Falwell and conservative Christians support the Israelis and condemn their enemies because they believe the triumph of Israel is God's will. Oh, God. The Jews return to their ancient homeland. I thought that was Manhattan. <laughs> the Jews returned to their ancient homeland, and so I thought it was Brooklyn. And sole ownership of the territories Arabs and Israelis both lay claim to is a precondition for the second coming of Christ, according to the fundamentalist evangelical Christians' interpretation of the Bible. The biblical scenario is not a savory one for many Jews, however. God save us from these people, said Israeli political analyst Yossi Afer. When you see what these people are encouraging Israel and the U.S. to do, ignore the Palestinians, kick them out. They're leading us into a scenario of out-and-out disaster, he tells Simon. But disaster is part of the scenario. Many, many fundamentalist evangelicals, who are crazy as a bedbug, by the way, believe there will be catastrophic events on earth, some occurring already, including the turmoil in the Middle East, culminating in the Battle of Armageddon, in which Christ will triumph and begin ruling the earth. At this point, they believe non-believers will be destroyed, good Christians saved, and remaining Jews converted to Christianity. Oh, at least like we get a second chance. It's about time, heathen. Says Ed McAteer, founder of the Moral Majority, and known as the godfather of the Christian right, I believe that we're seeing prophecy unfold so rapidly and dramatically and wonderfully, and without exaggeration, it makes me breathless. That's what Jerry Lee Lewis said, too, just before he married his 12-year-old cousin. Nobody said it leaves him breathless? Something like that. So there you go, more hysteria from crazy religious nuts, which is what all these problems are all about. These people are the problem, boys and girls, the religious nuts. They're crazy, and they're dangerous. See, it would be one thing if they were just crazy, you know, as they are, as they say in Pakistan. But they're uh, crazy and dangerous. How'd that pool come out yesterday? Speaking of dangerous hairpieces, who do you think has got the worst-looking hairpiece in the world, we asked. We have 865 votes. It's 868 votes. Tony, we'll work from the bottom up, okay? Poor Tony Bennett only had one. He left his piece in San Francisco. Paul Simon has a pair, which most of us weren't even aware. I wasn't. Martin Landau has two. That's because most people in this audience don't even remember who the hell Martin Landau was. Mission Impossible, baby. Barbara Bain, Martin Landau. And then they got divorced. Like everybody else, sooner or later, they all get divorced. You notice that, George? Yeah. Sean Connery, four. Lyle Menendez, five. Bob Eisenberg, six, which I think is a pretty good showing since uh, those must have all be inside votes because nobody on the outside has ever seen Bob, I'm hoping, for your sake. Tony Curtis and Michael Douglas tied with ten apiece. Aaron Brown wound up with 11 finally after we spelled his name right. Whiny Aaron Brown, who's on night whining the news on CNN. Oh, there's Bob Graham. Lily right now. Uh, too late. Damn it. Willard Scott and uh, Charlton Heston each had 13. Elton John, she had 25. Bill Shatner, good Canadian boy, had 27. Oh, and by the way, good Canadian boy, I'll, I'll get to it. I'm so excited about Ron McLean signing that deal with CBC. Thank God. All is okay here. Oh! The coast is clear. They worked, when in doubt, they worked it out. Shatner, 27. Henry Frayne had 36, which I think that's excellent, don't you? Yes, I do. Good memory on these people. Because, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and most people forget who the hell he was. Yeah, he was we out of sight, all right. We could have put former Dade school superintendent Henry Frayne. Anybody who ever saw him on TV, that, that was the worst weave, man, ever. 36, Burt Reynolds, 38, and now we move into the real love big numbers. Marv Albert, 86, Sam Donaldson, 124, James Trafficant, 201, but at least he had a good sense of humor. And Mo Howard David, no contest, 256 votes, 29.3%. I mean, it was a fairly uh, good battle there between one and two, between Trafficant and the Mo Meister, out of 871. 
but nobody could hold a candle to Mo's piece. A lot of people would like to. Don't get started with him now. He didn't even mention. He didn't even plug uh, C-SPAN audio today. Or the uh, organ grinder. Or the organ grinder. No, actually, earlier in the earlier in the morning, somebody said something about a monkey in here. Oh, that's the uh, that's the uh, nine o'clock. Or aren't you starting the pregame at uh, nine o'clock, Gildy? <laughs> See, one thing about your comebacks, Mo, man, they're really dangerous, you know. Uh, what is this? Seventeen suits named former priest in sex abuse. Uh, well, that's new new several suits against the uh, John Gagan. Thank you very much. But enough enough with him already, okay? Enough with the Gegenmeister. So anyway, Tom Jicka, and you, like I said, you people out there, I hope some of you actually uh, came. Maybe we have some people who watch Frontline like every week, you know, uh -huh. just as a matter of course at 9 o'clock on a Friday night, at least on Channel 2 anyway. But because uh, nobody told us about it, and we would have promoted it, and I'm sure a lot more people would have seen it. Now, tonight when you go to bed, you can set your VCR because it's on at 4 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning on Channel 2, WPBT, and it's worth watching. Tom Jicker writes, the September 11th attacks on America were so well organized and executed, it's possible nothing could have been done to prevent them. However, if there was one person who might have uncovered the terrorist conspiracy in time to thwart it, it was former FBI agent John O'Neill, the head of the Bureau's flagship anti-terrorism unit in New York City. O'Neill had been tracking Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda for more than six years, going back to a time when our government considered them mere nuisances, too insignificant to designate as priorities. He also was the first to contend that al-Qaeda agents had infiltrated this country. The Bureau paid little heed until O'Neill was instrumental in preventing a massive millennium terrorist catastrophe. In the months immediately preceding 9-11, he also reported suspicions based on information from his intelligence network that something big afoot involving bin Laden and al-Qaeda was, uh, was in the wind, was on the way. And then there's a whole bunch more about here in Tom's column yesterday, but the bottom line is we forgot all about it. I, I never knew about it. So I taped it and I saw a part of it, and then of course I had a phone call and pop, 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 beep, 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 and I'm gonna have to watch the rest of it uh, later today. Like at one o'clock sounds like a good time to me while I'm enjoying a nice cheeseburger for lunch. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds wonderful. Yeah, what's with wrong with bacon. a couple of, what's three, four, five cheeseburgers? But no bun, of course. No bun. So, of course. Yeah, no crap this weekend. I think, uh, no more crap. <coughs> sounds good anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds in good. principle, it sounds good. No crap, man. No crap. No smoking. No bad. No bad weed. Maybe some good weed. No, none at all. Although now that we know that beer is better for you than wine, have uh, you know, <laughs> thirty, forty beers each day on a weekend. When did especially we know that? getting ready? Huh? When did that come out? I haven't gotten to that story. Yet. Oh. It's in my pile. I don't know if I'll get to it. It was in my pile yesterday. Hey, I don't always get to all the stuff in my pile. In fact, the pile here right now is like halfway to the ceiling. I got a big pile, man. I got a huge pile. I can put it right on Greg Reed's desk. Well, there's a guy. Don't get me started on that uh, piece of turd, okay? He is he is absolutely a turd burger on two legs. Is that's the only way I can describe Greg Reed? A man who continues how how he this is a, he's like a plastic man. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about that sales guy, a plastic man, Ken DeBrito. I mean like plastic man in the cartoons. He just manages to wiggle and wriggle and you know and worm his way through life, avoiding and hiding and lying and uh, you know evading. You can't hide forever, uh, Greg. That's all I can tell you, man. You're just the biggest faker that ever. And he's got a horseshoe up his ass. This is a man who, some somewhere along the line, maybe in his youth, somebody in his sleep, slipped a uh, golden horseshoe and 54-leaf clovers up his ass. Rectum. I mean, way in there. Because anybody on his level, like that, who can achieve whatever he's, uh, what's he achieved when you come right down to it? Well, the Beasleys have a lot of money, and so does his wife, and I guess now so does he as a result, okay? Kind of like siphoning it all out. Nice going there, Greg. By the way, it's Wednesday. Just ask me. I'll tell you, it's Tuesday. 
913 at 560 WQAM, and any day is a good day to call our friends at Dollar Mattress, especially now with the weekend coming up. Get you a great night's sleep every night this weekend and next week and six weeks from Sukkot, every night of your life for years to come by calling Dollar Mattress and getting you a great brand-name mattress at an unbeatable price. And what a deal they got all the way around. They got top names in the business. They got Serta, Sealy, Simmons, King Coil. When one of my mattresses wears out in the house, and I'm on the phone to dial a mattress. I talk to somebody who knows what it's all about. And in no time at all, they're there knocking on the door. They take away the crappy old bedding and set up your great new mattress in no time at all. And believe you me, you'll tell the difference. Your back will feel great and you'll feel great when you get a good night's sleep every night. And when you call dial a mattress, you pick today in the two-hour window for delivery any day, seven days a week. And you also get that 30-day in-home comfort guarantee. What a difference that is. You go into a department or bedding store and they let you, they still got the plastic cover on a mattress. They let you lie down on it for like 10 seconds. Okay, how does that feel, you know? Well, who the hell knows? But when you have up to 30 days to try it out, then you know what it's all about, whether it's the right one for you. So get you a great night's sleep for years to come by calling Dial a Mattress right now. 1-800-MATTRESS. 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Or check them out on the web at mattress.com. Live and local. This is Sports Radio 560. QAM. I want to bang you in the butt, honey. Okay. See you walk outside my office. Your butt cheeks catch my eye. You're so tight and firm and perky. You almost make me cry. And even though your pants are covering them, I can see it in my mind. And I lube up. Cause it's quite so nasty, it's quite so nasty. I drank too much last night and dreamed your ass Was there across my knee Studied all your butt cheek dimples Your ass topography And even though it smells like just past gas Well a tear comes to my eye And I lose Cause it's quite some ass, it's quite some ass And I want to spank you Well that would be the best day of my life And oh, just to slap that ass Is having the best day of my life Rectum 919 at 560 WQM. Let's get some of these uh, promos in here. Man, there's a whole uh, crap load of stuff going on this weekend, isn't there? Look for the QM van 11 to 1 today at TK Performance Center at the Home Depot Shopping Center, corner of Red Road and the Palmetto and Miami Lakes. Stop by to play the Budweiser Super Prize Machine. What the hell is that? It's big and it's super, but yeah. the prizes aren't. I see. Oh, it's the usual crappy QM prizes? Yeah, but now well, like I said, Miguel will be there, and he'll be very lonely, so go out there. 11 to 1 today at the TK Performance Center, Home Depot Shopping Center, Corner Red Road, and the Palmetto Miami Lakes. And then join Joe Costello, 3 to 5, at Publix at 1395 South 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale for the Mike's Hard Lemonade NASCAR giveaway. Stop by. Maybe uh, Al Gore will be there passing out Mike's Hard Lemonade. Stop by to win prizes and register to win two tickets to the Homestead Speedway race in November. And tomorrow, as if that isn't enough to uh, whet your appetite for a real busy weekend, tomorrow George will be at Jared Jewelers. I love Jared Jewelers. Even though you never heard of them. Right. At 1630 North Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale from 1 to 3 tomorrow afternoon, he'll be there because they're paying him. Stop by to win prizes and register to win a trip for two to see the Dolphins play the Jets in New York in what ought to be like a walkover. The Jets, a little teeny weeny girls team, a girly team. 
Boy, are they pathetic or yes. what? Man, they're tragic. Here's our poll for today and over the weekend, and uh, not too many choices on here. And, of course, with everything that's going on in the world today with the economy and with the war on terrorism and with uh, the impending war on the invasion of Iraq and all, all these things, keeping those things in mind, who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world today? I think the word leader ought to be like in italics or capitals or like in something, Eric. Can Eric hear us today, by the way? Probably. We never know. We're never sure because they've got issues up there with the... Uh, he usually the, tells uh, us if he can't hear us, he calls and says... I see. Can. So he can hear us. Hey, have a great day, Eric, okay? Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world today? G.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, or Al Sharpton? <laughs> well, where did that come from? What do you mean, where did that come from? Come from a story I got coming up here about how he's, uh, he's, uh, oh, no. I, Sharpton eyes the White House. I'll, I'll get into it right now if you prefer. <laughs> the Reverend Al Sharpton is getting ready to step down as president of the civil rights organization he founded to explore a bid for the presidency in 2004. Oi! Early next year, I'll be stepping down, Sharpton said yesterday, an announcement that had been expected, but was nonetheless, that had been feared, it should say, not expected, but was nonetheless delivered with a certain amount of fanfare. Come on, can we have a little fanfare? Like a drum roll would be good. That's good. I'm going to travel and see if it's feasible to run for president. I'm inclined to run. I'll determine by spring if it's feasible, he kept saying. Feasible. Sharpton said he'll begin traveling around the country in 2003 to evaluate whether he could raise the money and build the infrastructure needed to run for president, and therefore he would not have the time to run the National Action Network. Sharpton once successfully ran for mayor of New York and for the U.S. Senate, who's a professional candidate and a professional Schmidt disturber, has been outspoken on many local and issue, uh, national issues, most notably on police brutality in the highly publicized cases of Amadou Diallo and Abner Louima and the U.S. military bombing in the tiny Puerto Rican island of Vieques. Sharpton made the announcement on his 48th birthday celebration attended by community, political, and religious leaders at Canaan Baptist Church of Christ, where National Action Network Chairman Wyatt T. Walker is pastor. Sharpton said he asked his board to seek a replacement at the nonprofit grassroots organization he founded in 1991 because he's got bigger fish to fry, baby. Oh. He's making a run. So if that's the case, we ought to have him on there. Something for people to start fearing and thinking about. Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world today? George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Tony Blair, or Al Sharpton? Am I leaving anybody obvious out? Saddam Hussein. No, I'm serious. These are not these are not gag choices. These are serious choices. Don't be don't be starting to play light. Al Sharpton isn't a gag choice. Next thing you're going to want me to put the Mo Howard David on here again, okay? Okay. He's, he no, he's had enough uh, opportunities this week, okay? He won yesterday's uh, hairs down, okay? Hairs down your back. So let's uh, give him a rest until Monday, and then we'll rip him an ass again. No, he's he's got that big game coming up Sunday. We don't want to start messing with him here on C-SPAN Audio. How about Al Gore? No. Listen, like I just got through saying, we got a weekend coming up. Are you trying to spoil my weekend? Spurl. You trying to ruin my weekend? Just don't mention Al Gore again. That's my one suggestion. Okay, I said very, uh, you know, with a spirit of friendship and the hand of friendship, the, the bird of paradise extended to you. Don't say Al Gore again today, please. No. Lockbox. Yeah, you know, say lockbox, or as they say at the deli, lockbox. Hey, Ron McClain proclaims no grudges. Oh. Let's hear it. This is the big news, okay? Let's stop worrying about all this other crap and the leader of the free world and the leader of the pack and all this other crap. CBC reverses decision, baby. Oh. Yeah. That's why everybody from coast to coast and all the ships at sea, they got a big smile on their face from uh, Moose Jaw to uh, Halifax, from a Medicine Hat to uh, uh, Callowit. They all got a big smile on their puss. 
And up there in Acala with some of them are a little incoherent, but you can understand why. It's probably already like 20 below up there. You know what I'm saying? In what are you Moose saying? Jaw? Right yeah, this, medicine yeah. Have you ever looked at a, at a map of this country, boy? I tell oh, you yeah. That. A lot of Man, space. It goes all the way up almost to the goddamn North Pole. Right. Big, open, barren spaces. Sure. Ron McLean is returning to Hockey Night in Canada after an immense public backlash for CBC back to the bargaining table just days after dropping him from the broadcaster's flagship sports program. Everybody in this country loves hockey. I'd suggest they love Hockey Night in Canada, and they clearly love Ron McLean, a slightly chagrined-looking Nancy Lee, executive director of CBC Sports, said yesterday after a full day of negotiating with Donnie Meehan, McLean's agent. Lee characterized the deal as a compromise and said McLean will rejoin Don Cherry in the popular Coach's Corner segment when the show's 51st season begins next Saturday. Let's hear it, okay? It's about time something good happened for Christ's sakes with all the other crap. That's enough. So we got that straightened out. That's good. That's important stuff. Oh, you know what's really important stuff? You know Governor uh, Jeb? Yeah, I know Remember Governor him? Jeb, my buddy. Our good close personal buddy. Well, right. there's only one thing we can say about him today. I guess we've said it many times before. He's an asshole. Yeah, and he proved it. He's got juicy details in the Rilla case. Did you see this story? No. You didn't see it? Nope. Uh, Carlos saw it. Yeah, I saw it. He's seen it. Well, we'll get into that more as soon as we come back because we got to do the break. But, boy, I'll tell you, this man, he and Jerry Falwell ought to elope because the two of them, they can stick, they can stick their legs down each other's throats or something. This is a bigoted, nasty, mean-spirited prick is what our governor is. And by the way, the apple don't fall too far from the, the, its twin brother tree, which he ain't his twin, but he's his evil twin, I would say. That'd be a good pull to take. Which one is dumber? Which of the Bush brothers do you think is the dumbest? And don't forget, don't That's forget easy. the dumb, go, the other D goes with a dumb and dangerous, which I think in both their cases is very appropriate. Anyway, we'll get to those juicy details about the Rilla case and about how Governor Jebster continues alienating more and more factions of the populace out there with stupid, idiotic comments because he's a bozo and a bigoted right-wing Christian. In fact, I'm, I think I'm being redundant there, okay? I think we had several redundancies in that sentence. 926 at 560 WQAM. Hey, let me tell you something. You want to do a little something for your health? Start popping oleomed in your puss, and in no time at all, you'll feel the difference. Because it's a great product that features the best olive oil you'll find anywhere, along with vitamins, minerals, and herbals, all rolled up into one little uh, soft gel capsule, and you pop in your ugly puss. And they have a separate product designed to help your heart. There's one specifically to help lower your blood pressure, one for your cholesterol, one for your prostate. One for your circulatory system, your digestive and endocrine system, your skin, your bones, even your mind, all using the benefits of honest-to-goodness pharmaceutical-grade olive oil along with all those other good things. Oleomed manufactures products for men and some specifically geared for you ladies out there as well. It's an outstanding, exciting new product. It's uh, spiffy. And pick some up today at Whole Food Markets, at Walgreens, Sedano's, and Navarro Pharmacies. Get more information by calling the toll-free number, and they'll tell you all about it. Call 1-866-OLEOMED. That's 1-866-OLEOMED, which you can also order on their website if you prefer. It's easy. Just log on to Oleomed America. Like I said, log on to OleomedAmerica.com. My and local. This is Sports Radio 560. QAQAM. This pot's not good. It's great. Yes. This time's when all I want to have are Oreos to eat. Yeah, 
They sound like you're on, you know, like that weed, you know, like Rick and Scud. 931 at 560. We got 28 votes on the poll, which just went up on there only uh, moments ago. Who would you prefer to uh, see as leader of the free world today? Bill Clinton, 13. George W., 6. Tony Blair, 5. And Al Sharpton's got four already. See, you were laughing at him. How do you like that? You were laughing at that. The investigation into defrock priest John Gagan now widening. 17 more people in Boston have filed lawsuits alleging they were sexually abused by Gagan over a 32-year period. Last month, the Catholic Archdiocese in Boston reached a $10 million deal to settle about 86 cases related to the former priest. Thank you, Bill. Don't forget, 4 o'clock in the morning, set your VCR on PBS Frontline. What was the name of it again? Yeah, I forgot. I forgot. The man who knew something. I don't know. Too much. I, I could play like a, a few seconds of the audio there, but it probably would be like uh, out of, uh, you know, it wouldn't make any sense. I guess. Um, you hear it? Where is the, it? The New York Times article, the outstanding issue about the missing bag, um, th- there had become such a personal cost. And, and I think... Yeah, they drummed his ass out of the so FBI. The FBI are a bunch of Farbison and Goyam. I'll tell you that right now, man. They are, they are evildoers. Make no mistake about it. And let me ask you one thing before I get into that uh, juicy details. Yeah. Is Louis free? Governor says, juicy details in radio case. This is a worldwide story now. This isn't just confined to the Yokel papers in Florida. This has made it all around the world. More embarrassment. Well, there's Hans Blix. For the inspectors, if they get He's in agrees to delay the return of the inspectors. the U.S. threat of consequences for Baghdad hangs over everything. There are five permanent members on the Security Council. The U.S. cannot just do whatever it wants to do, at least diplomatically. And so- well, there's that Richard Roth. He looks awfully Jewish to me. Anyway, Governor uh, Jeb Bush told a delegation of lawmakers that he had some juicy details about the sexual orientation of a missing Miami girl's caretakers. During a meeting Wednesday, Bush implied that the two women who had just been charged with fraud stemming from the investigation into Rillier Wilson's disappearance were lesbians. As Pamela Graham was being arrested, she told her co-workers, Tell my wife I've been arrested. The wife is the grandmother, the aunt is the husband, Bush explained, using his fingers to indicate quotation marks to emphasize the word grandmother. You seeing this? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Vic, you don't get that in Pensacola, Bush told his guests, a group of lawmakers from Florida's panhandle. An attorney for one of the two women called the governor's comments outrageous and said the women are sisters, not a lesbian couple. The women, Geraldine and Pamela Graham, were charged Wednesday with stealing more than $14,000 $14,000 in pubic assistance. They were not charged in the disappearance of Rydia, who was missing 15 months before the State Department of Children and Families realized in April that she was gone. She would have turned six last Sunday, would have being the operative uh, term there. The Rydia case threw a spotlight on the DCF, the leading top child welfare administrators, to quit and Blue Ribbon Committee to examine the agency. But six months after the agency reported Rydia missing, the $75,000 reward for finding the little girl remains unclaimed. It's up to 100 now, by the way. And no criminal charges have been filed. Elizabeth Hurst, spokeswoman for Bush, said yesterday that the governor relayed details and factual information regarding the arrest of Rillia's caretakers. He intended no offense and continues to focus on the safe return of young Rillia. Oh, yeah, please. 
But Joshua Fisher, Pamela Graham's attorney, called the governor's comments outrageous and disgusting. He's making jokes when there's still a missing baby here, or doesn't he care, Fisher said yesterday. He said he's trying to get paperwork, including birth certificates, that'll prove that the women are sisters, not a couple. Nadine Smith, executive director of Equality Florida, the, stages, the state's largest gay and lesbian advocacy group, called the comments childish and locker room homophobia. Bush made his remarks to three Republican panhandle legislators, two GOP state house candidates, and aides during a meeting in the governor's office. He apparently didn't realize a reporter with the Gannett Regional Newspapers of Florida accompanied the group. His comments were first reported in Wednesday's edition of the Pensacola News Journal. It was a non-event, said Dave Merzen, the GOP nominee in State House District 2, who was at the meeting. It wasn't any big deal to us. Really, all of us were there for more important stuff than a bunch of dyke comments. GOP State Representative Greg Evers said Bush simply informed the group about the arrest, and he didn't make any innuendo or insinuations about anybody, quote, unquote. See what we're saying? What are you saying? I'm saying he's a bigoted right-wing uh, cracker is what I'm saying. It was born with a silver spoon up his ass with a dysfunctional, screwed-up family. Another one of these farbison or right-wing going who's dangerous. Now anybody in their right mind, unless they're a cracker like him, how they could vote for him for even dog catcher, just beats the living crap out of me, I'll tell you. Just astonishes the crap out of my ass. 48 votes on there. Who'd you like to see as leader of the free world if you had your druthers? Bill Clinton, 24. Tony Blair, 10. W, 9. And Al Sharpton's got five. So either it's five dark folks or it's five people with a good sense of humor. Hey, maybe he's got a shot. You know what? <laughs> you actually got that out straight. Hey, at the, at the way those people multiply, man, them dark folks, the, the rapidity with which they multiply like rabbits, by the time 2004 election comes around, there, there might be like 600 million darkies in the country, and then he'd have a real shot, Al Sharpton. You know, like Jesse as his running mate, or maybe Louis Farrakhan could be Secretary of uh, Defense, Secretary of State. Huh? Nothing. Butler accuses U.S. of nuclear hypocrisy. The former chief weapon, and this is in the Sydney, Australia Morning Herald, by the way, not, not in your weekly reader. Remember uh, Butler, Richard Butler? Yes. Well, poor la. Well, poor la. <laughs> the former chief weapons inspector in Iraq, Richard Butler, was lashed out at the U.S. double standard, saying even educated Americans were deaf to arguments about the hypocrisy of their stance on nuclear weapons. Mr. Butler, an Australian, told a seminar at the University of Sydney Center for Peace and Conflict Studies that Americans did not appreciate they could not claim a right to possess nuclear weapons but deny it to other nations. My attempts to have Americans enter into discussions about double standards have been abject failure, even with highly educated and engaged people, Mr. Butler said. I sometimes felt I was speaking to them in Martian, so deep is their inability to understand. Mr. Butler's comments to the seminar are reported in the university's latest newsletter. What America totally fails to understand is that their weapons of mass destruction are just as much a problem as are those of Iraq, he said, adding that Hollywood storylines fueled such attitudes. Mr. Butler said the horror of 9-11 had only entrenched the idea in Americans that there are good weapons of mass destruction and there are bad ones. Yeah, it's good bombs and bad bombs, right? Ours good, there's smart, bad. Smart bombs and dumb bombs. And then some that aren't quite as smart as we thought they were, the ones that, like, you know, blow up people's weddings, things like that. Oops. Mr. Butler, and uh, kill four Canadians, Mr. Butler, who headed the U.N. weapons inspection team in Iraq in the early 90s as a former Australian ambassador for disarmament, earlier delivering the university's Templeton lecture, Mr. Butler said one of the most difficult times with the Iraqi regime had been dealing with the issue of inconsistency. Among my toughest moments in Baghdad were when the Iraqis demanded that I explain why they should be hounded for their weapons of mass destruction when just down the road Israel was not, even though it was known to possess some 200 nuclear weapons, he said. I confess, too, that I flinch 
when I hear American, British, and French fulmination against weapons of mass destruction, ignoring the fact that they are the proud owners of massive quantities of those weapons, unapologetically insisting that they are essential for the national security and will remain so. Mr. Butler said that manifest unfairness, double standards, produced a situation that was deeply, inherently unstable. That is because human beings will not swallow such unfairness. This principle is as certain as the basic laws of physics itself. Mr. Butler said one problem encountered in Iraq was that materials and technologies employed in making a chemical or biological weapon were identical to those used in a range of benign products for medical, industrial, agricultural use, and maybe even like baby milk, too. The U.N. Security Council's decision in 91 to destroy, remove, or render harmless Iraq's weapons of mass destruction was unique and far-reaching, far tougher than past attempts to disarm defeated countries like Germany and Japan. So how do you like that? Poor Dick Butler over there, he's a pissed off and fired up. He doesn't understand that we're the good guys. That we're, that, you know, the world is uh, split into two now. Right. The world, according to the Bushmeisters, there's the good people and the evildoers, and that's it. There, there ain't nobody else. There's no riding on the fence on this one, okay? Put on your goddamn cowboy hat, get your six-shooter out, and uh, join with us, or you're against us. That's it. Simple as that. Kind of like at QAM. There's either the good people or the evil people. The evil people, of course, being all of those on Greg's side. 63 votes. On our poll, who would you prefer to see as leader of the free world right now, this moment? Bill Clinton, 30. Tony Blair, 14. W, 11. And Al Sharpton, 8. I'm telling you, I think Al's got a shot. Is there still anybody out there who's not plunging their guts out at a VIPSportsBook.com, especially with a weekend and all the football coming up? Then we better tell you right now, you're missing out on a really great sports book. You're all these ads for these other sports books. But do some research before you hand your cash over to these people, some of these uh, 10th world countries that they're from, you know, like... Ogis, let me help you out. VIPSportsBook.com is the only book to be unanimously endorsed by the industry watchdogs. They're Dutch-based, so they're worthy of your trust in one of the first online sports books. So if you go on a rule of a lifetime, if you get lucky, you want to be at that time with the best sports book available, which is, beyond the shadow of a doubt, VIPSportsBook.com. So open an account online and get you a 15% cash sign-up bonus just for doing it online. And did I mention that they got the highest parlay odds you'll find anywhere? Up to 2,000 to 1. So get your ass over to VIPSportsBook.com and plunge to your heart's content while it's still uh, available at a book with class. Call toll-free 1-866-VIP-BETS. Listen to Hank this afternoon and then plunge your lungs. 1-866-VIP-BETS. Go to VIPSportsBook.com on the net and get that 15% sign-up bonus. VIPSportsBook.com, where you be the VIP. Live and local, this is 560. The radio's all yours now. QAM. Friday, you bastard. Oh, Rosie O'Donnell killed your magazine. Yes. Biggest egomaniac I've ever seen. Rosie O'Donnell felt she lost control. All those years of faking nice just took their Are you sure? Living in Miami, looking what can mean. See, I didn't do that right, you know. Biggest control freak I think I've ever seen. Biggest what?
See what I say, uh, Tom Cruise, but he's a man at that point, Phil should say. Are you sure? See what I'm saying? <laughs> a Tom Cruise thing. Well, next time I'll know. Right. 9.45 at 5.60 WQM. Happy Friday to you. You see, Friday ordinarily, you're pretty enthused that it's Friday and it's the end of the week and all those cliches, but I'm not all that excited about it because the problem was the week, as fast as the weeks have gone the last three or four weeks, the weekend goes like about like, like that and that's yeah, it. Just like that. So what I'm thinking is that before I know it, it's going to be Monday morning. And again, it's a terrible cliche, but nobody, even Fats Domino, ain't too crazy about Blue Monday. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not too uh, thrilled about that. But at any rate, New England Paul faxes and says, hey, going to Sunday's Patriot Dolphin game with about 15 Patriot fans. All right. Your number one fan. Listen to your show every day. Want to let you know that there are a lot of Patriot fans. Go Tom Brady. Kick some serious ass. Oh. Yeah. Kicks. In fact, I'd like to see them turn uh, Jay Fiedler into a human bagel on Sunday. would be great. Now, that's not, you know, and that's not personal, Jay. It's not that we don't like you. You're a nice guy. And just the fact you went to Dartmouth, we won't hold that against you. But you ain't no Tom Brady, sweetheart. I'll tell you that in any sense of the word. I'm going to be sitting there just sniffing that TV screen. I'm going to be sitting there inches away from it. In fact, guess what I got right over here? Ah! I got my uh, Sports Illustrated. What was the date on this? The date was uh, something. April 15th of this year. April 15th, what an interesting date, huh? The tax man cometh, and so does Tom Brady. Squirt, squirt. Well, how come this thing looks uh, looks uh, much the worse for wear? Oh, and inside is a picture of, uh, look at that, what a fag, huh? Me, meaning. <laughs> no, seriously, Josie Theodore, the Montreal Canadiens' great goaltender, was roughed up by the Leafs last night eh, in an exhibitionist game in Montreal, 5-3, to three, but nevertheless... See, one thing about the Leafs now, we give up the first goal in every game, the first shot, right off the bat, just to give a false sense of security. And then we catch them while they're down. Look at that picture on page 35 of Sports Illustrated, Tom Brady. There's a face that everybody can love. I don't care how butch you are. I don't give a crap. Even Mo probably has got a soft spot in his old ass for a Tom Brady. Good God. Is he a sweetheart or what, huh? But behind that uh, boyish look, don't, you know, don't, con don't confuse yourself. There's a dangerous arm behind that look. You know what I'm saying? What are you saying? I'm saying he's going to kick some ass. I'm hoping, and if not, that's okay too. Even if even if he doesn't, he still looks a lot better than Jay Fiedler, with those big goofy ears. In fact, Jay Fiedler. Anybody ever see him in Dumbo at the same time? Now that was bad. Why are you picking on Jay Fiedler? Because everybody else does. Why can't I? I wish Jay Fiedler all the luck in the world off the field. On the field, <laughs> up yours, Jay. But off the field, he's a good guy. Good Jewish boy from Dartmouth. What's wrong with that? I hope he makes a lot of money. He ain't no Dan Marino. We know that. He ain't no Dan Marino, baby. I'll tell you that right now. All you people that used to uh, pile on on Danny's ass. Oh, they never won no Super Bowls with Dan Marino. Yeah, right. As if that's his fault. I guarantee if they would have had Ricky Williams, when, I mean, if you know, the timing would have been different, and Ricky Williams would have been, uh, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Then you'd have seen a different story. They would have had a running game. Who did they have? They had Mark Higgs. You know, another, and uh, Troy Stratford. Oh, my God. Good sales guy, nice bald spot, but I mean, is he a running back? No. Get serious, okay? He could he couldn't run from where you're sitting at the wall. <laughs> no, seriously. In fact, the only person, the only dark-complected ex-jock, ex-dolphin jock that could run that far was, Roy! and that's only because he saw that huge black dildo up there on the uh, on the uh, thing on the wall. Remember how fast he moved for that? I gotta have that, man. He just pounced on that thing, just grabbed it. <laughs> and I'm not making that up either. I'm not embellishing that story. His, his eyes were like a pinball machine rolling around when he saw that thing. I wonder what he did with it. Oh, and speaking of that, what a great segue into this story from the Washington Post. Man's friends face Levy case grand jury. A grand jury has subpoenaed friends of a man who's now the focus of the Sean Levy investigation. You want an apology to Gary Conduit, by the way. I will not give it to him. 
I don't give a crap what you say. You owe an apology. You were relentless on that poor uh, piece of crap. Yeah. So he likes a little uh, rough sex, okay? And so I guarantee you, you've eaten more ass than he has. No. I don't oh, think yes. So. Oh, no. Yes. He's a congressman. Oh. A grand jury has subpoenaed friends of a man who's now the focus of the Sean Relieve investigation. Among them, an apartment manager who told the Washington Post the man had facial scratches and a swollen cut lip around the time that the federal intern, the former federal intern, disappeared. How do you like that, huh? Facial scratches and a swollen cut lip. Sheila Cruz, the manager of a building on Somerset Place Northwest, where Ingemar Guandique lived, said she uh, can place the time she saw the facial abrasions as late April or early May because it was shortly before, uh, what? I'll be shortly before Guandique, then 19, was arrested May 7, 2001, on charges of breaking into an apartment in the complex. Levy, whose remains were found in Rock Creek Park this spring, disappeared May 1st, 2001. You following this? He was arrested May 7, she disappeared May 1. Gandike blamed his wounds on his girlfriend, saying she had hit him, Cruz said. Just like O.J. would at the, the cut on the hand, you know? Right. It's just a coincidence. But the former girlfriend in an interview said she had not caused the injuries to her in his face. She said she never saw the scratches and swollen lip. She described the relationship as tumultuous and said it was on and off and in and out by May 2001. Cruz was subpoenaed late Wednesday night, hours after she was interviewed by the Post. Her boyfriend, one of Gandike's friends, also was subpoenaed. <laughs> Guandique's former girlfriend, Iris Portillo, and her mother said in an interview that they were called, sound like a bunch of beaners to me, were called to the U.S. Attorney's Office last month. Portillo, 20, said she took detectives to a spot in Rock Creek Park where she'd gone with Guandique, less than a mile from where Levy's remains were found. She said investigators took a gold bracelet, which she said was a gift from Guandique in early 2001, and a necklace. It's unclear what jewelry Levy was wearing when she was slain. Law enforcement sources have said that a gold bracelet and gold ring were missing from her belongings. Uh-oh. You owe an apology to Gary Condit, goddammit. No. I think this whole country owes an apology. In fact, let's hold that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. He's a right-wing uh, Democrat. He's a right-wing goody-two-shoes Democrat who was, who was uh, all over Bubba on Penisgate, and in the meantime, he was screwing everything with a skirt on. Another one of them right-wing hypocrites. What a piece of turd, man. What do you think about Jeb Bush and uh, Catherine Harris, by the way? Cruz said that until this week she had not been contacted by D.C. police during the 17-month investigation. She is one of several Guandique friends or relatives who have been subpoenaed in recent weeks as investigators focus on Guandique, a Salvadorian immigrant who was convicted last September of assaulting two women jogging in Rock Creek Park, not far from where Levy's remains were discovered. The attacks occurred May 14, 2001, two weeks after Levy disappeared, and July 1, 2001. I think he done it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, what do I know? I'm just reading uh, from the Washington Post. The flurry of subpoenas in the grand jury's interest in Guandique mark a significant change in the investigation, which had focused on Representative Gary A. Condit, with whom Levy was having an affair at the time she vanished. Police have not interviewed Condit since the discovery of her remains officially turned a missing person case into a homicide investigation. Isn't that how the president says it, homicide? Detectives have no evidence linking Guandique or anybody else to Levy's death. Police have sent the clothes Guandique was wearing when he was arrested July 1st, 2001, for the park assaults to the FBI lab test for DNA, according to law enforcement sources. You following that? They want some DNA tests on that clothing. They want to see if Chandra's uh, got any any uh, hint, a hair, a curly one, a straight one, anything. I think he's going to get it. 97 votes on the poll so far. Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world today? If you had, if you if you could like say, okay, you're it. Bill Clinton, 49. Tony Blair, 21. George W., 15. <laughs> and uh, Al Sharpton, 12. Hey, Sharpton's given the uh, W. Meister a pretty good run for his money there. So anyway, but Jeb Bush was telling me this story about these two dykes. I mean, 
No, no, seriously. What, what kind of, what kind of people? I get the same kind of people that he and his family are. Scum. Right. That, that's the kind of people that would vote for Jeb Bush for anything. Scum. Because that's what they are. I remember seeing him at the ball game. Mac, when we had those IOD baseball, the early years of the Marlins, the founder seats. Remember those? Oh yeah. Well, no, but seriously, you didn't go to the games, but you know what I'm talking about. They sure. gave me those founder seats right, right there along, right, right by the first baseline. Great seats, by the way. But my misfortune, and one of the reasons I stopped going to Marlin games very early on, by the way, is because of the fact that Jeb Bush and his cronies and all these right-wing assholes, they, they had that like whole section there. And it was just filled with them, including this one guy that weighed about 800 pounds, who was a uh, one of their fundraisers from Tallahassee, he and his uh, Yahoo wife. I'm surprised they didn't bring their trailer with them. But at any rate, they uh, they were sitting on, and this guy weighed at least 900 pounds, easy. And then one game, Jeb was actually there, and somebody poked him, uh, and uh, there's that fag back there, you know, because we were standing up uh, before the game for, or whatever. And he turns around and give me a look, and I like, I nodded at him, like, hey, hey, asshole, hey, asshole, how you doing, eh? And by the way, you better take that spoon out of your ass, it's still stuck in there, somebody should tell you. Man. Doug Montero in the New York Post, we haven't had a piece by him in a long time, you know what? Yeah. And you want to know why? Why? Because this priest thing has been on a hiatus. We've had all the Sodom stuff and uh, Gomorrah stuff. And as a result, there haven't been all these articles about the priest situation, and that's what they counted on. You know, oh, something else will come along. You know, they've heard the public's attention, just like the Maryland shooting spree. Velocity at what the projectile will travel. Yeah. See, now, now they're having a big song and dance about what kind of a weapon was it and the kind of bullets and how I mean, oh, brother, the FBI, you talk about evildoers, man. They invented it. I think it started with that gay Edgar Hoover. Anyway, I'm getting wound up to a, a frenetic frenzy here, and I shouldn't be doing that on a Friday. I should be saving my energy for lunch, don't you think? <laughs> is it going to take huh? energy? Oh, and you know something? Speaking of that, isn't today uh, Friday the day the beast is supposed to be in there to weigh himself? Right. Where is he? Don't see him. And I was thinking another thing about that topic. And, uh, you know, since uh, Balance for Life, I guess, started playing like uh, I don't know what you would call it, playing with his emotions and saying, well, we'll bring you food Monday through Friday, but on the weekend you're on your own fat. So I think what they should do is he needs the food seven days a week, is they should just quit bringing you food. You don't need it. Okay, they only bring me a lunch. Well, that, well there you go, right there. Quit bringing George food. If you add those lunches up, that's five okay. lunches a week. That more than compensates for whatever crap, that, I mean, good stuff they'll give him for the weekend. I guess I shouldn't mention that he hasn't picked up his food for the past two days. Like I said, I think you need to watch yourself. You better get your food. See, I try to go to bat for a guy like that, and he's he's not fooling us. He's off the wagon now. If I'm them, I don't bring him anything anymore if it's just going to sit around there. In fact, I am I feel jealous right now. I bet you there's some good stuff in there that I would enjoy having right now. No question. I, could, I bet you there's like an omelet I could heat in my microwave in the kitchen, which is only a stone surf where I'm sitting right now. That's the great part about being uh, like in your own apartment doing the show. Can like uh, crawl into the kitchen in there, hop in the refrigerator, get me some more diet soda, get me that uh, Balance for Life omelet or wrap or something like that. But of course, I don't have any of that. I did get a box yesterday, and well, 9:56 at 5:60 WQM. Speaking of food, Castaway Seafood Company knows seafood like nobody you knows. They pride themselves on serving you the freshest and the best seafood available, fresh fish that is never frozen. Castaways also features grilled certified Angus beef. That's with a G. Burgers, filet mignon, or a big, huge, juicy New York strip. Castaways has great weekend specials like all-you-can-eat fried catfish for only 
a seafood medley with calamari, shrimp, and fish, only $13.95, or chili and sea bass, only $19.95. Join the Castaways tailgate party at the Hogfish Bar, offering college and NFL football specials, including all-you-can-eat hot and spicy buffalo shrimp for only $7.95 while you watch your favorite teams. While you watch the Patriots kick the stuffings out of the Dolphins on Sunday, I hope. Yeah, you never know. There's also live entertainment every Saturday night at Castaways. Castaway Seafood Company has got a full bar. They're open seven days a week and located on the southwest corner of University Drive and Griffin Road in Davie, not too far from Steve M's house. If you're looking to cater your next home or office party, Castaways can do that for you, too. The Castaway Seafood Company featuring seafood so fresh, it might just reach up and slap you in that ugly push. We're Sports Radio 560 QAM. Friday, you bastard. Oh, where, oh, where can that Chandra be? The lock is out on a haunting spree. If she's gone to heaven, then she left when she should. The night that Gary Condit gave it to her for good. They were out on a date, parked in Gary's car. Maybe Gary had gone just a little too far. Uh-huh. He shut up the motor, turned to her and said, How about it, baby? I could use me some help. Maybe that young intern thought that that wasn't right. But the cocktails in their system made them feel so light. Chandra thought for a moment and said, You're low class. That may be true, said Gary, but I still want your ass. Rectum. Yes. Oh, where, oh, where can that Chandra be? She ain't been heard or seen for so many weeks. If she's gone to heaven, then she left when she should. The night that Gary Condit gave it to her, but good. When he woke up the next morning, Chandra was not around. Though Gary had noticed, his pants were still down. He remembered her pointing to her parted thighs. Guess Gary finally got what he wanted last night. She had opened the door, winked at him and said, I'll be back in just a little while. Then she took off after he blew her a kiss. And no one, including Gary, has seen her since. So the fact is she's gone. These facts may not be right. If somebody knows the truth, well, then the truth would be nice. Well, the truth is this El Salvadorian guy may have been the one. May have. We underline that. And, of course, alleged and the possible and maybe not. You know what I'm saying? Always right. have to have 85 disclaimers on there just to cover your ass. Alleged, supposed. Right. Might be, and it might not be. 1002 at 560 WQAM, 125 vote. Who would you prefer to have leader of the free world today? Bill Clinton, 63. Tony Blair, 25. George W., 22. And Al Sharpton's got 15, you little afraid. So you thought he was like a crank boat. I think he'll do better than Bush, actually. Do you want to know how I uh, see the reason we can't get the name of that uh, congressman with the bad hairpiece? Because it just dawned on me during that break. He's from California. I see. Not Ohio. And he's not in Congress anymore. I do know that. He retired or whatever, uh, or got his ass kicked. At any rate, uh, right wing, he was on a House investigating committee, the Judiciary Committee, back when the uh, penis gay thing was going on. 
It, lo it looks like a brown, uh, small brown farm animal died on his head. The wor far worse than Moe's will ever be. I mean, just the most silly-ass-looking person. Somebody maybe will know. Former, uh, rep and of course, there aren't that many Republicans from California anyway in the House and in, in anything. Follow what I'm saying? Yes. Except in Orange County, of course, where they're all like, uh, you know, having their uh, birch meetings. But nevertheless, so maybe somebody will know now because I'm just jonesing to get his name before the weekend. So anyway, Doug Montero writes in the New York Post. What was it? About a half hour ago, I started uh, getting in this. Right. Priests told, get a lawyer. He says, priests should remain silent and get lawyers whenever their bishops confront them with sexual abuse allegations, a well-respected church attorney told a room full of clerics who met yesterday. In the current scheme of things, you should not admit anything, Monsignor William Varvaro told about 150 people attending a meeting of the Voice of the Ordained, a new group for current and former Roman Catholic priests. Varvaro also warned that the information accused priests give their church leaders could be turned over to prosecutors and held against them. The father-son relationship between a priest and a bishop has been destroyed. Varvaro's advice infuriated pre-sex abuse victim Daniel Dugo of Brooklyn, who interrupted the speech by saying, I've heard enough. This is a map to cover up crime, he said, before he was forcibly thrown out of the meeting room at the West 52nd Street Manhattan Club as several priests hollered, Get him out of here! <laughs> Despite it all, Dugo and the priest Varvaro was trying to lecture share one common thin thread. They don't trust the church hierarchy. The mistrust was born shortly after the June U.S. Bishops Conference, where the church leaders hammered out a zero-tolerance sex abuse policy designed to oust child-molesting priests. The Reverend John P. Duffel, who organized yesterday's meeting, said policy not only violates priest rights, especially those falsely accused, but fails to call to account the bishops who transfer known molesters from parish to parish to cover up problems. They said sexual abuse is wrong, but they didn't talk about handling of it by bishops, Duffel said. Some priests said they feel like sacrificial lambs who are paying for the sex abuse scandal, even though a published report showed two-thirds of the nation's bishops mishandled abuse cases. It shows the inequality, and I think everyone should have been held accountable for what they did or did not do, said Monsignor Larry Hinch of the Holy Child Jesus Church in Queens. Now, for the first time, innocent priests or those who knew about an abuse are feeling like the victims whose rights were violated by the church hierarchy. How do you like that, huh? Get him out of here! Get him out of here and shut him up. Dummy up, you uh, goofball. Miami mom pleads innocent in death of baby left in van. We seem to have an epidemic of these, you know? Yeah, I know. It disgusts me. A woman accused in the death of an infant left inside a sweltering minivan pleaded innocent yesterday to charges of aggravated manslaughter. Unia Perez. Unia Perez. Y-U-N-I-A. Unia. Unia Perez, 26, of the suburban Naranja neighborhood, sat silently as her public defender, Oliver, uh, Oliver Morales, entered a plea of innocence before Circuit Judge Roberto Pinero. Well, what, what country are we talking about? Well, what country are we talking about with a bunch of names like that? All I lumped in, oh, Naranja. Perez is charged in the August 29th heat stroke death of seven-month-old Philip Gutman. If convicted, she faces up to 20 years in prison. Police said Perez, a neighbor of Philip's mother, Clarice Gutman, left Philip for hours strapped in his car seat in the back of the minivan. Perez, who was supposed to have dropped Philip off at a daycare center, discovered the child dead hours later, police said. Uh, Pinero said another hearing for November 11th, trial date for November 25. Since 1992, kids in cars had reported 18 deaths in Florida involving young children in cars. Did you know there was an organization called Kids in Cars? No. I never heard of that before. It sounds like Toys R Us, don't it? Kids in Cars? No, no, seriously, what, what is that? I never heard of that. No. This is from the Sun Sentinel. Kids in Cars. It's an organization, I guess. 18 deaths in Florida involving young children in cars and probably a bunch of others that we never heard about. But th this wasn't even her own kid. This wasn't even her own kid. Right. This was a neighbor's kid. And she left the kid strapped in the uh, back of the minivan in sweltering heat and humidity. 
for hours. Oh, guess what, neighbor? Your kid's dead. I uh, screwed up. I guess something must have happened to him while he was in there. I mean, what are we talking about, huh? And what kind of a goddamn foreign country? Jesus, God, and Joseph, man. I'm so glad I'm not in that banana republic, at least at the moment anyway. God, I may have to reconsider that whole idea coming back there, even for a second. That is just some kind of a... Uh, and that's not a third world country. That's an 80th world country. You people in Dade County, man, I don't know when you're going to wake up and sniff the daffodils, but you better get out of there while they're getting still good. I don't, I don't want to start getting on Dade County's ass, but get out of there. That's my best advice. When in doubt, get the hell out. I How about Carlos? Where do you live? Dade County. Yeah, unfortunately, Dade County. I keep trying to talk to him about that. Well, like, where in Dade County? Well, now I live on the beach, but that's just recent. I have my whole family lives, like, in Westchester. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's not even close to the county line. Nope. Not even the same country. You, you you can't even make a run for it. And then we got Miguel, who also lives in Dade County, which of course right. is uh, just outrageous, just outlandish. And you know who else lives in Dade County? Which goes to show you that uh, somebody with money who lives in Dade County obviously is uh, lacking for brains. Greg. Yeah. How do you like that? Of course, in a big, fancy, expensive house. Greg. Lives in Dade County, in the house that Enrique used to live in. I wonder if Enrique left any droppings for him. You think? He has a bird. A small one. I think it's a cockatoo. 149 votes. Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world today if you could choice, if you could say, if you could choice it? Bill Clinton, 75, George W, 30, Tony Blair, 27, and Al Sharpton, 17. Shots at UN nearly miss employees. A lot of guns going off last couple of days, you know that? And a lot of stories involving guns. Right. And of course we all know why there's a lot of stories involving guns, don't we? That's the American fucking way. Exactly. A gunman apparently protesting these. What is that? What is what that? What the hell? What was that? <laughs> I think this thing is on automatic pilot myself. A gunman apparently protesting the state of human rights in North Korea climbed over an unpatrolled fence at UN headquarters yesterday afternoon and fired seven shots. At the uh, building with a revolver narrowly missing several employees, the UN uh, security chief said. The man identified as Steve Kim. Then threw down a 357 caliber Magnum. Wasn't I talking about 357 Magnums yesterday? Yes. Maybe he was listening to the show. Walked over to a bag he had brought, reached inside, tossed a handful of written flyers into the air that contained a rambling political message about human rights in North Korea, said Chief Michael McCann. Did you see the rambling message that he wrote? No. It looked like some of the stuff, which I don't want to mention any names to encourage anybody to start faxing us again, but some of the stuff that we've received on the fax uh -oh. machine over the years. You know what I'm referring to? Yes. I mean, like that. Kim then leaned against the flagpole, calmly watching as security agents approached and handcuffed him. He did not resist. The flyers were addressed to all people who love freedom and justice and complained about the plight of North Koreans. They were written in English and signed by Steve Kim, citizen of the U.N. The U.N. Security Council was meeting inside at the time. No evacuation or other steps were taken, said U.N. spokesman Hua Zhang. Kim was taken into custody by members of the protective detail who was preparing for the departure of the motorcade of a visiting dignitary. The detail uh, included members of the Secret Service, the State Department's Protection Service, and the New York Police Department. U.N. security personnel also responded, McCann said. Kim was turned over to the FBI, will be arraigned in federal court today, said Mike Kulstad, a spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office. He said at least two of the shots struck windows on the 18th and 20th floors of the landmark building in Manhattan along the East River. Didn't we just have like a, a, a guy go nuts shooting, or did I dream that? In no, New York uh, on Wednesday, we had that story yesterday. Didn't we have that story about the yeah. nutcase shooting all over the place? Yeah, in Maryland. No, no, I'm not talking about No, in New York. 
shooting at the sniper in New York. You guys better get with it, mister. You're confusing your Maryland shooters with your New York shooters with your U.N. shooter. Man, you better get with it. Because if you're going to be on the bandwagon here in the good versus evil axis uh, uh, battle, you better know your, uh, who you're shooting at. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Instead of John Wayne, you're starting to look like in La Caja Full. You're starting to act a little more like Faye Wayne. 154 votes on the poll. I'm watching this with great interest today. Who would you prefer to be the leader of the free world today? With all the stuff that's going on, the economy is in a crap. Oh, gee, I'm looking at that little thing on the right-hand side. The Dow is down another 55, and the Nasdaq's down to almost 10. Man. Hey, was it uh, Robert Dornan or something like that? No, no, but he's, uh, you know something? James that, Rogan? That's it. That's okay. it. Oh, ah, ah. <laughs> in fact, how about some Rogaine for James Rogan? Too late. How are they spelling that? R-O-G-A-N? Yes. That's the one. But now that you mention it, Bob Dornan, who's a real uh, card-carrying Nazi, who got defeated last time. Oh! oh, man, let's hear it for that. We got rid of Bob Barr and uh, and uh, that, that Nazi in a very short period of time, in a couple of years. Bob Dornan and Bob Barr. Maybe they can go over there and celebrate. They can hang out at the Brandenburg Gate. You see who was at the Brandenburg Gate ceremony, which I talked about yesterday? You see who was there yesterday? No. Bubba. <gasps> and they loved him. They loved him. See, see, they don't see in Europe and most of the rest of the world, they don't care about uh, the leader of a country getting a few blowjobs. In fact, they all just, they were cringing. They couldn't believe this, the shenanigans that were going on over here. While we should have been worrying about terrorism and about finding Osama Yamama and doing important things, we had to waste two years and 60 or 70 million dollars of the taxpayer money on a, uh, on a witch hunt about a guy's uh, sex life, on his banana business. And they, they can't relate to that. They don't understand it. How, how anybody can be so puritanical, even though we're descended from the Brits, they still can't understand it. So Victorian, so hypocritical, so full of crap. And especially when the people who are conducting the witch hunt come to find out, most of them are a bunch of whoremongers anyway. No. So the fact of the matter is they love Bubba around the world because they realize that he's got, he's got something. We don't know exactly what it is, but he's got something. Especially, uh, you know, an IQ larger than his thumbnail, especially compared to certain others, which we won't mention. Twelve minutes elected governor. Twelve minutes after ten and his brother at 560 WQAM. Pompano Harness is doing it, baby. They're back in action with live racing tonight and every Friday and Saturday night. There's a new first race post time, 7.15 p.m. Be alerted to that, 7.15. And for the first time in the 40-year history of the track, there is free clubhouse and free grandstand admission all season long and is always free general parking. There are two new wagers this year at Pompano Park. Come play the Super Super with a $10,000 bonus payout or try one of the two pick-four wagers. This Friday night, tonight, is Sea Escape Night. There will be free prize drawings to win one of five trips for two on the Sea Escape Casino Dinner Cruise. Also on the program tonight is the $48,000 Finals of the Florida Sunshine Stakes for Trotters. And tomorrow night, it's the $48,000 Sunshine Stakes Finals for Pacers. For the next two weeks, Pompano Park will be open for live racing every Friday and Saturday, as in tonight and tomorrow night. The track is open every day of your life, seven days and nights a week, still for simulcasting starting at noon. Please don't forget the new post times as, as, tonight and tomorrow, 7.15 for live racing. Pompano Park on Powerline Road, a block south of Atlantic Boulevard. Horsepower, you can plunge your guts on. This is Sports Radio 560, QAM. Kill Nicole.
all the women say Condit's a Clinton protege If he writes down your name in his little black book They might pull you from the river on the end of a hook He'll change your life He'll tell you he loves you but won't leave his wife Said he flips, does it OJ and whips out of night That's what it's like if you are Gary's girl God help you if you're Gary's girl Then poof, you're gone, you're gone just like that I got something here. Thank you, David, one of our regular faxers. I got a website. Have you ever checked this out, yucks.com? No, I have not. You must go to it. I'm gonna. <laughs> Yuks.com. Yucks.com. You will just crap your pants, especially the Britney poster. Where they oh, make... you already went? <laughs> See this, and I, I guess maybe James Rogan is still in uh, Congress. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen him in a long time. We know James Trafficant made like a uh, departure a short time ago. <laughs> yeah, we know where he's hanging left. out. But at any rate, uh, are you on it yet? I'm, I'm getting there. I'm on the uh, opening thing. Enter yucks.com. Enter yucks.com. Uh, I'm uh, entering it. Scroll up to where you see those gigantic hooters. <laughs> they got Br the poster of Brittany, which uh a little bit doctored up there, where she's got hooters the size of watermelons. Uh, Brittany nude here. Man. Oh, God. Virgin Mary nude. <laughs> yeah, oh, there, there's some great stuff. And then they got Ari Fleischer's picture. There only it says Ari Lyshur poster. Mad as hell. There's Alfred E. Newman. And Ron, oh, it's it's got some beautiful stuff. But anyway, so what inspired me to check that out is because David faxes me this um, battle of the bad toupees, and it's a contest. They have an ongoing thing. I, I'm not finding it on there right now. Maybe you will. It says each week we'll pit two competitors with whacked out hair hats in a quest to find the ultimate champion in the battle of the bad toupees. Our first competition faces off two politicians, James Trafficant, Democrat of Ohio, and James Rogan, Republican of California, both members of the Whig Party. That's W. H-I-G, do your duty and vote now. I, I can't find that on there, can you? No, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get yeah, all I know you're, porn off you're my probably screen. busy. <laughs> no, all this crap is popping up here. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yucks.com, folks. When in doubt, check it out right now. Y-U-K-S.com. Uh, I, I had to close the browser. It was taken over. Some excellent stuff. Oh, it's still doing it. Anyway, moving right along. Well, that's because you got that uh, crappy, you know. Yeah. You got that Bell, that Bell South, whatever it is, that piece of turd. Plea for help in Maryland shootings. Five shot dead in Washington. And boy, they're going on about this on CNN because I guess there's nothing else exciting going on today except the fact that Hans Blick says, oh, we'll wait. We'll wait. Police hunted a very calculating killer or killers yesterday, and they're still hunting, who shot to death three men and two women in what they believe were random incidents all outside over 15 hours in the affluent Washington suburb of Montgomery County. Officials reached out to the public for help and offered a reward. If you have any information at all, you might be uh, helpful. Call uh, yada yada. You don't want that number," said Montgomery County Executive Director Douglas Duncan. We're also offering a reward of up to 50 grand for information leading to the arrest and indictment of whoever is responsible for this. Montgomery County Police Chief Charles Moose appealed to anyone who might have seen something out of the ordinary to notify police. Please, please, we need people to talk to us. He said, "Let us piece it together. This is not some lightning bolt from the sky. Somebody knows. Somebody saw it." The killings were out of character for the area. He said nothing like this has ever happened in Montgomery County. This is a very safe community, or used to be. Our homicide rate just increased by 25% in one day. All public schools in Washington, D.C. and the Maryland suburb of Montgomery and Prince George's County canceled outdoor activities. We strongly believe all of these are connected, Moose told reporters. I wonder if he was kin to the uh, late Pirates pitcher, Bob Moose. He said his statement was based on the weaponry used, but did not elaborate. 
<clears throat> Moose said the police believe the victims were randomly selected. These are simply victims, and we need to figure out a way to stop this. He said Moose described the killer or killers as very calculating. And it goes on to describe all this and uh, list each one. But we already know that. Anybody that's been watching TV more than two minutes in the last uh, 48 hours, don't we already know that? Yes. I would think so. I'll tell you that, yucks.com, it's going to take me a while to recover from that. See, the thing with uh, James Rogan is, and the pictures on there on their website don't do him justice, is that the piece starts so far back on his head. It starts like in the middle of the head. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, a, uh, like a bad piece of headgear. Here's Paul Finley, writes, sir, this is in the L.A. Times. Paul Finley, a Republican, represented Illinois in the House of Representatives from 1961 to 83. He was a major author of the War Powers Resolution of 1973. And he says, don't give Bush war powers, is what Paul Finley says. He says, my former colleagues in Congress are grappling with President Bush's request for congressional authority to use all means necessary, including force against Iraq, and to take action in order to deter and prevent acts of international terrorism. It is unlikely that Congress will ever face a request of higher risk to the well-being of the American people, as well as to all of humankind. In brief, the President asked Congress to support his decision to establish war-making as a presidential policy tool rather than an instrument of last resort. Until now, declaring war has been accepted as the exclusive domain of Congress, the people's branch of government. The President's new security document shifts basic policy from deterrence to dominance of adversaries and irrigates enormous new authority to the President. To fulfill the self-appointed duty to police the world, our government declares that it must maintain absolute military supremacy worldwide and take all necessary action to assure that adversarial nations do not increase their military power. In a notable bit of arrogance, the plan even assumes U.S. responsibility to advise other nations, starting with China, on proper budget outlays for military purposes. The plan relegates the United Nations and all of their international institutions to supporting roles if they take the lead that the United States directs fine. If not, they become irrelevant. Is the attempted worldwide rule prudent for any nation, even one as large, militarily strong, and democratically based as the United States? Should the President abandon this country's long-standing principled opposition to preemptive acts of war? If we do strike in violation of international law, other states will reasonably conclude that such strikes are acceptable military conduct. In that case, the world may sink to the law of the jungle. Even if Congress concludes that preemptive acts of war can be justified, other questions remain. Should advanced congressional approval be required in each case? If so, can Saddam Hussein's regime in Iraq be considered a sufficient threat to U.S. security to qualify for preemptive assault? Any resolution must be drafted so carefully that it cannot be construed as a declaration of war, which would automatically convey dictatorial powers to the president. As a member of Congress in 1848, Abraham Lincoln cited war-making as the most oppressive of all kingly uh, oppressions, and he also declared that the Constitution was constructed in such a way that no one man should hold the power of bringing this oppression upon us. Congress must deny the President's request for fast approval of a preemptive strike against Iraq. The issues involved are too monumental for a quick decision. But as an interim response, Congress could enact a concurrent resolution listing the circumstances in which the President may constitutionally order acts of war to comply with a treaty obligation or to repel a military attack against the territory of the United States, its possessions, military services engaged in peaceful maneuvers or shipping, to participate in humanitarian rescue operations or in response to a declaration of war or other authority approved by a majority of the members of each House of the Congress. Written by Paul Finley in the L.A. Times today. And by the way, speaking of war, I'm declaring war on the beast. Okay. Well, no, seriously, what what kind of crap is that? I don't know. Maybe he has an excuse. Maybe he's incapacitated or something. He's incapacitated. Maybe he's being held prisoner. Maybe I understand the way fat people work, being one of them myself. I understand the way that our minds work. And here's a guy that comes back after going on that cruise. Okay. Now you know goddamn well that he ate like a pig on that cruise. You know that for a fact. 
Wouldn't you bet uh, Greg's life on it? I, I don't know it for a fact, but um, likely. You'd bet a lot of cash on it. Sure. Somebody else's. <laughs> and the <laughs> fact of the matter is that now that he doesn't show up two days in a row and leaves his little black sack there means, see, this is really going to piss off Troy over there at Balance for Life. You do understand that, don't uh, you? I know. I didn't want to in say fact, anything. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they cut him off my altogether. I appreciate and eat every bit of every crumb. Right. In fact, George will probably take that home for the weekend because he's got, you know, a starving family there with that unwanted new little kid and all this other stuff going on and his wife who can really eat up a storm. So, you know, you put all of that together. Then you've got this beast creature there that we're trying to save his life, and he just refuses now. He just uh, bailed out on us, which I find totally unacceptable. No wonder they canned his ass off, off that morning show, you know what? I'm starting to think now maybe we're giving Mo like a bad rap. The bad Mo rap. We'll probably be playing that next week. 1026 at 560 WQAM. Hey, if you love your home but you desperately need some more space for her things... What do you do? Well, you do the smart thing like George is doing, hundreds of other people are doing. You call our good, close, personal friends, our pallies at Strictly Editions. Whether you're having a baby, need another room, maybe you're converting a carport or patio into living space, maybe you're going into business for yourself, want to make a home office for Miss Cleo, call Strictly Editions. They're your one-stop shop, more space for your place, place with an absolutely, positively worry-free approach to expanding your living space. Those no-shows by the contractors you've heard about won't happen. Incomplete work, no chance. No unexpected bills, no worries about the job not getting done right, and they take care of every single last detail. They draw up your blueprints, they get the building permits, handle all the inspections. Strictly Additions has got an easy five-step approach to total customer satisfaction. First, they call to schedule a free project evaluation appointment right in your home, where a project estimator will determine the scope of your additions. Secondly, they schedule a bid appointment in their convenience showroom where you'll get a detailed proposal and an exact price for the work. Third, select your finishing touches. You go to contract. Fourth, review the design architectural drawings. And once all of that's done, number five, sit back with a big fat smile on your ugly puss and relax as your dream edition moves ahead on schedule with unbeatable quality. You can't beat them with a stick. They serve all of Broward and South Palm Beach County. Check out their ad in the yellow pages if you like or just call Strictly Editions at 954-791-8100. That's 954-791-8100. They're licensed, they're insured, and they do spectacular work for you. Call that number today. Tell them that old Neil and P.D. Laney told you to call Strictly Editions, 954-791-8100. Live Live and local, we're Sports Radio 560 QAM. Were you fudge packing? Yes, I am. Ten thirty three at five sixty WQAM. So that beasting man is starting to really green. He and it's, sick. Uh, he's sick. He's on his way in anyway. He's sick. He's sick, but he's coming in anyway because he's a real trooper. Because he's sick. He ripped him and uh, he's. No, sick. no. You want to know why he's sick? Because he went on that cruise with mommy and daddy. That's you know why what? he's sick. You're probably right. 
No, I, I'm not probably right. All that unhealthy just, stuff. Just ask Doctor. Just ask Doctor Neal, okay? Who just performed a very delicate operation during the break that you're not even aware of? Okay. You know, I had a paper jam. Let me, let me just give a little piece of advice to all the people in this audience, okay? Don't panic, okay? <gasps> no, seriously. A lot of times things happen. And just like our, you know, how our engineering department always looks down their nose at the rest of us like we're a bunch of morons. Well, it's pretty amazing how apt I've been in this studio since way back on the 1st of March. And every single thing that's like, uh, you know, little things that have uh, gotten screwed up in here, I've been able to handle. How do you like that? We're impressed. And even when the engineer, when our Toronto engineer came in that one day and got on the phone with Corso and but with a mini Bob, but but remember all of that to try to get the phone thing uh, sure. unscrewed and turned out it was on the firewall was on that end anyway. And then when we had to get that thing straightened out, I sat in here on the phone with mini Bob, and in about 30 seconds there it was, got it back on. How do you like that? Got it all straightened out. Good job. So anyway, we had like a paper jam in there, but not like your ordinary. Like the paper came about halfway out, you know. Right. And I pulled that sheet out, and then I look, and I lift up the cover and put it back down. But it's still saying paper jam, and I think, uh-oh. And I look inside, and sure enough, there's a uh, sheet stuck inside. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like inside the guts of my fax machine. My very, very uh, mediocre, uh, eh, that's pretty good, actually. Makes a lot of noise, but it's okay. What? It's, it's not as good as the one that's sitting there. Oh, no, this one's a dream. Or the one in Amsterdam. But at any rate, so I look at that and I see all I have to do is lift out the ink cartridge, the toner cartridge. Yeah. Where the paper is like, because uh, I see where it's going, and I lift it. When it down, lift it out, I yank it out of there in the paper, too, and we're rocking and rolling again. Oh! How do you like that, huh? It's a little pat on my back, and why not? So the beast is sick, but he's coming in. Well, see, I have to embarrass him into it. That's, uh, there's a method of my madness, and it works. Come in and get your sack, man, and quit the making excuses. And if he's sick, that means he ought to do good on the scale, right? Right. Worked for me in Amsterdam, boy, that week I had the flu. God almighty, I lost about 600 pounds in five minutes. That works like crazy. Puking and Mo sweating. And that. And that, too. So get his ass in there and arrest him, too, and let's get him going here. Let's not let him slip off. And like I said, you don't need any goddamn food. You're not on some diet. No, seriously. I could I could do without it, but I really, really love it and appreciate it. I don't care. Okay. I want Troy over there at Balance for Life. Let's take care of the beast. Let's save this one man. If we can make him into a human being, I'm telling you, that's, that's going to shock the world. That'll be uh, more impressive than anything. So somebody faxes me a long article here by um, somebody, by John Murphy. This is on Salon.com. The bald facts. <laughs> An informal survey of toupees, transplants, weaves, and dye jobs reveals that 10 to 22% of the U.S. senators are engaged in a cover-up. Well, I'm not, it's a very long piece, so to speak. But he says, Senators Joe Biden, Democrat of Delaware, and Strom Thurmond, Republican of South Carolina, are the transplant leaders. Thurmond, who was born in 1902, was at 97, probably entitled to keep all the plugs and brown hair and cosmetic surgery his heart desires, just keep him away from foreign policy. William Roth, Republican of Delaware, has, oh, that, oh yeah, oh, has what must be the most egregious wig in the Senate, but you have to give him credit for at least uh, going with gray and keeping with the 78 years. Have you ever seen him, William Roth? No. It's like one of those that's like, it's sitting on the head, you know? Like, don't lean your head to the left, too far to the right or the left. Senator Bob Smith, that big tub of crap from New Hampshire with his rugged movie star looks, well, he kind of looks like Wallace Beery, it says, has the second worst toupee, although Senator Daniel Akaka, Democrat of Hawaii, looks like his is one that covers the most territory. Senator Akaka, his piece looks like Kaka, Senator Akaka from Hawaii. Oh, this is a good story you're going to like, which I bet you didn't even know about. Well, Or maybe you did. Couple caught copulating in cathedral were on a sexathon, prosecutors say. Did you know that? No, I did not. From Newsday. Maybe they were also trying for the Guinness Book of World Records, it says. The couple arrested in August for allegedly having sex in St. Patty's Cathedral for a raunchy radio show 
also did the deed at a half a dozen other public places that afternoon, including the FAO Schwartz Toy Store and the sidewalk in front of the Carnegie Deli, said a source familiar with the case. In court papers yesterday, prosecutors claimed Loretta Lynn Harper, 35, and Brian Florence, 37, both of Virginia, engaged in sex acts at several public Manhattan locations for a total of three hours before ending up in the cathedral. I guess practice makes perfect. Although the papers do not list the locations, the source said the sites were a taxi, a bank vestibule, a hotel, and the Cinderella section of a Disney store, in addition to FAO Schwartz and the Carnegie Deli. Florence and Harper were arrested August 15th on charges of public lewdness after allegedly having sex in the cathedral as part of the Opie and Anthony radio show, a stunt that offended Catholics and others and led to the discontinuation of the program. They got their asses canned. Also charged in the stunt was comedian Paul Mercurio, 40, of Manhattan, an employee of WNEWFM, who allegedly led the couple from location to location and provided a running commentary. Court papers say Mercurio possessed a list of sites that stated the point values for each. The church is worth 25 points, Rockefeller Center 30 points, and described the sex acts on the year. The radio show was holding a contest whereby couples engaged in sex around Manhattan for the chance to win a trip to Boston, a tour of a brewing house, and the chance to attend a party with Opie and Anthony. Speaking by phone later, Carnegie Deli owner Sandy Levine recalled his workers called him outside that August day, and the privates were to be seen. Levine said he didn't mind much, but he wasn't planning to name any sandwiches after the couple either. In other words, he's not changing the names of his meat. Employees at Disney stores said they knew nothing of the alleged incident, while a spokesman for FAO Schwartz didn't sound quite as accepting. We won't confirm or deny it, said the spokesman, Alan Marcus. I have no comment. The story isn't over. The amorous couple and their alleged moderator were in court again Wednesday, and they're due back November 13th. So how come we didn't hear about that until now? Don't know. Because evidently the other people, and even the uh, one place there, they weren't all excited about it. But they weren't all bent out of shape like the church people were. Right. Because well, one thing we know, there's no hanky-panky going on in the church, baby. It's not allowed. None of that bull crap going on there's there. There's no fact in, in the church. Make no mistake about that. When in doubt, don't whip it out. My, my and local. This is Sports Radio 560. <laughs> CNN is uh, their website's getting as bad as the Herald. They, they update stuff whenever they feel like it. I guess I'm going to have to tear up this story. White House to Blix don't take no no for an answer because they just had on there like 20 minutes ago that thing about uh, while they decided that the inspectors are going to like uh, put it on hold. You know they're holding it right. before they go back in there. They want to make sure they get it right. Anyway, speaking of John Bonet, John Bonet Ramsey police tape to wear more than a year after the murder of John Bonet Ramsey, an investigator suggested to her mother that physical evidence linked to their herd of the slaying according to a videotape police interview. 
More than a year after the murder, an investigator suggested to her mother that physical evidence linked her to the slang. The interview to be shown on CBS 48 Hours tonight is used in a segment called Searching for a Killer. It wasn't clear who made the video available to the network. Boulder police insist they didn't do it. During the June 1998 interrogation, a detective said, If I told you right now that we have trace evidence that appears to link you to the death of John Bonet, what would you tell me? Patsy Ramsey replied, That's totally impossible. Go retest. The detective responded, How is it impossible? Ramsey replied, I didn't do it. CBS will show another video that includes Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner confirming in a November 2001 deposition that detectives regarded Patsy and her husband John as suspects in the death of a six-year-old of the uh, of the, bit, uh, the little girl. Beckner declined to comment on his deposition except citing an uh, excerpt citing confidentiality order. Beckner said his office gave the Ramseys copies of each videotaped interview. He said his department did not give copies of the tapes to CBS and refused to speculate how the network acquired them. 215 votes, 215 on our poll so far today. Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world right now? Bill Clinton, 115, 53.5%. George W. Bush, 42. Tony Blair, 38. And Al Sharpton, 20. Speaking of, speaking of that, a majority of Hispanic voters identify themselves as Democrats, says the Washington Post, but they show significant ambivalence toward the party, suggesting a growing electorate that may be up for grabs, according to a survey released yesterday. Although 49% of Hispanic voters surveyed identified themselves as Democrats, one-fifth is Republicans and another-fifth is Independents, the Democratic advantage disappeared when those surveyed were asked whether they had more confidence in Democrats in Congress or President Bush. 43% favored Democrats, and 42% chose the President, according to a national survey by the Pew Hispanic Center and the Kaiser Family Foundation. Were you familiar that there was a Pew Hispanic Center? Nope. Well, you are now. The findings suggest that Hispanics, a broad category encompassing Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, Beaners, Dominicans, and South and Central Americans, those foreign-born and those native-born, have political views that defy easy categorization, said Robert Ciro, director of the Pew Hispanic Center. With the Latino population, it's very hard to pigeonhole, Ciro said. Cornhole, yes. Pigeonhole, no. Latino Democrats are very different than traditional white Democrats, and Latino Republicans are different from the traditional Republican. There's not a clean and easy fit, he said. Unless, of course, it's at the tea room at J.C. Penney's in Westland. Hispanic voters have more confidence in Democrats than Republicans when it comes to the economy, by a margin of 53 to 27 percent. But four in ten say there's no difference between the major political parties. Well, now we're getting warm, okay? Not much difference. It's just that one isn't as dangerous as the other one. I think that's basically what it boils down to. Well, you know, see what this doesn't do, though. It doesn't separate because I, I could right. waste your time and go through this whole thing. But it doesn't separate like the Cubans from the uh, Puerto Ricans and the other uh, Hispanics are more diverse even than Anglos. They're more perverse even than Anglos, but there's no question about that, especially at Westland. There's a lot of perversity going on there. <laughs> if you want to go and have a good time this weekend doing the limbo rock, take your uh, power drill and just drill a few extra glory holes if there's still some room left. You can, like, put your initials underneath it, okay? Just be sure and wear rubber gloves. It would be a real good idea. Pakistan test nuclear-capable missile. Oi! Pakistan has successfully test-fired an indigenously developed medium-range surface-to-surface ballistic missile after warning neighboring India in advance of the exercise. The test conducted this morning came as more than a million Indian and Pakistani troops remained locked in a tent standoff along their shared border that's lasted almost 10 months. The missile, named as the Hatif-4 or Shaheen, is believed to have a range of 610 kilometers, 380 miles, and is capable of carrying both conventional and nuclear warheads. 
Prior notification of the test had been given to neighbors as well as some friendly countries, the Inter-Services Pubic Relations Directorate said in a press release. A Pakistani military official quoted by the AP described the test as routine. It's unclear why Pakistan chose to test fire the missile today, less than a week before Pakistan holds elections October 10th and during the final phase of voting in Indian-controlled Kashmir. The test also followed a visit by Christina Raka, the U.S. Assistant Secretary for South Asia, who left the region Thursday after attempting to lower tensions between India and Pakistan over the disputed territory Kashmir. For its part, India has dismissed the Pakistani test as a publicity stunt ahead of next week's voting. As we've said before, we're not especially impressed with those missile antics of Pakistan, external affairs ministry spokeswoman Nirumpama Rao told reporters. How you doing, Nirumpama? As is well known, Pakistani missiles are based on clandestinely imported materials, equipment, and technology, she said. Unlike ours, which are made of the good stuff. <laughs> it's really great, ain't it? Oh, boy. Yeah. Speaking of crazy people, prosecutors are pissed off and fired up about the Skakel movie. Prosecutors who want a murder conviction against Kennedy cousin Michael Skakel are upset about a planned movie, which they say gives undue credit to Mark Furman the former Los Angeles police detective who wrote a book about the case. Furman, known for his role in the O.J. Simpson murder trial, wrote Murder in Greenwich, the only book on the case to allege Skakel murdered Martha Moxley in 1975. Skakel, a nephew of Ethel Kennedy, was convicted, as we all know, in June of beating Moxley to death with a golf club. When they were 15-year-old neighbors in wealthy Greenwich, now 42, he was sentenced to 20 years in life in, years to life in prison. I wonder if he used the same golf club that Moe was using in that one bit. Five remember the, remember that, the one that got him 20 years in Oz? Putter. Furman's book is being made into a two-hour movie to wear November 15th on USA Network. Christopher Maloney, who stars in NBC series Law and Order SVU and HBO's Oz, plays Furman. See, there's that Oz again. Prosecutor Jonathan Benedict says a draft of the script wrongly suggests Furman's book prompted Skakel's prosecution. It implies that he was, if not responsible, certainly greatly, greatly influential in the decision to bring about a prosecution, Benedict said. They just don't like him, you know? No, they don't. Because he once used that right. N-word. Mm-hmm. I bet you used that S-word once, too. You know what that is? What's that? Spick? Probably That assertion is demeaning to the entire division of criminal justice in Connecticut. Bennett. Oh, it's, by the way, speaking of Connecticut, now I sure hope the beast isn't too sick. Is that is that a home game? That uh, U.M. Vassar game this week? I mean, UConn game? We don't know. How would we? I, I, I don't know. Maybe Carlos might know. No, I know I'll be watching it on TV, but that's about it. Not You'll be watching it on way. TV? The U.M. against another girls' school against Vassar? I mean, UConn? I'll skim through it. Get out of here. That assertion is demeaning to the entire division of criminal court justice in Connecticut, Bennett told the AP. The train was out of the station and way down the tracks before that book ever came out. He said, this is a guy who was trying to jump on a train that already left the station. The script notes Connecticut authorities convened a grand jury to investigate the murder a month after Furman's book was published in May of 98. Benedict said he decided to seek a grand jury investigation in January of 98 when he took over the case, but authorities were awaiting results of forensic tests. Furman, the uh, dick who found the bloody glove in the Simpson case, pleaded no contest to perjury after being accused during that trial of lying about his uh, use of racial slurs, including nigger and spick and kike and mocky bastard and wop, etc. He said he was not claiming sole credit for Skakel's prosecution and Kraut but un- and Mick, but uncovered evidence in the case, including a book proposal by Skakel and Mooley that was a key part of the trial. I think it certainly put the pressure on Connecticut to do something, Furman said. Benedict strongly disagreed, saying authorities already had the book proposal. Every piece of information he had, we had months in advance of the book coming up, Benedict said. He's trying to take credit for things he simply did not do. So there's a big concert, Tom. Did he do it? Did he have something to do with it or not? Okay? And Gook. Big stinking deal. Gook? 
Where? See, you're always picking on those poor Chinese people. Again, you know what's talking about lay off. And that guy was Korean yesterday at the UN. The guy with the gun That's that was what I was talking a... about. The Koreans are gooks. Korean guy. Oh, I see. Chinese people are our friends. Koreans are gooks. How, how do you know we don't have a couple of Koreans listening to the show out there right now? I'll take a Korean over a chink any day. Now, is that South Korean? We are, of course. Of course. This is in, uh, what is this in? This is in Time, October 7th, the new issue of Time Magazine. In fact, there are a couple of interesting things on here. The Lessons of Empire by Michael Elliott. As Bush considers colonizing Iraq, he ought to look at the last attempt. I'll save that, though, for a couple of minutes. This one, General Carl Rove reporting for duty. Carl Rove spent last week where he usually does, out of the limelight. But that didn't stop Democrats from seeing Rove everywhere, his invisible hand guiding all that the White House has done to prepare the U.S. for war. For months, Democrats have suspected that Rove, President Bush's chief strategist, was manipulating the war on terror to Republicans' political advantage. In August, when Democratic operative Jim Jordan was asked how war might affect the November elections, he replied caustically, you mean when General Rove calls in the airstrikes in October? And when Majority Leader Tom Daschle erupted on the Senate floor last week, accusing the Bush White House of politicizing the national security debate, he fingered Rove as a principal culprit. Over dinner in a Washington steakhouse, Rove laughed off suggestions that he had manufactured the Iraq debate to divert attention from the sagging economy. It's ridiculous, he told Time. That's not me, and you know it. But that's the thing about Rove. Few people know exactly where or whether the perception of his clout diverges from reality. There is no doubt that Rove ranks among the most influential staff members ever to advise a president. He is so peripatetic, his political and policy interests so Catholic, that's with a small c, that it's tempting for Democrats and Republicans alike to assume there are no limits to Rove's power, even if there are. Rove has the habit of fueling speculation that the White House is wagging the dog. In January, he suggested that the war on terror created a political advantage because Americans trust the Republican Party to do a better job of protecting and strengthening America's military might and thereby protecting America. In June, a misplaced diskette containing one of Rove's presentations included advice to candidates to focus on the war in their election campaigns. When friends asked whether Bush really plans to invade Iraq, Rove has been known to reply, let me put it to you this way, if you want to see Baghdad, you'd better visit soon. But the image of General Rove drawing up war plans exists mostly in the imagination of Democrats who fear and loathe the man. Insiders swear that Vice President Cheney, Defense Secretary Rumsfeld, and Secretary of State Powell wouldn't stand for interference from a political operative. Superhawks, Cheney and Rumsfeld didn't need Rove to tell him to target Sodom, and Powell has warned the White House that he doesn't expect to receive and won't accept phone calls from Rove. Then there's the president who likes to keep his exuberant aide in check by tartly reminding him who's boss. Says Ed Gillespie, a Republican strategist who worked with Rove on the Bush campaign, if Carl said we should invade Iraq to help us in the November elections, he would have found himself sitting on his ass on Pennsylvania Avenue because the president would have thrown him out of the Oval Office. Still, Rove knows an opportunity when he sees one. In private, Republicans can see that Bush's focus on Iraq has vastly improved their chances in November and bless Rove for his efforts. More than a few Republican candidates, taking their cue from Bush's political guru, are beating the war drums in their speeches and insinuating that their Democratic opponents are soft on defense. But others fear this kind of talk has gone too far and could backfire. There are some high-level people in the White House, Carl Rove being the main driver, who are using this for politics as a Republican senator whose message to his colleagues is, don't be baited, don't let Rove hook you. Though Rove insists he doesn't play a foreign policy role, he fought an internal battle last year with Bush's economic and foreign policy advisors over steel tariffs. Rove was for imposing the duties favored by steel companies and unions in Midwestern swing states, and he won. It was Rove who in July warned Republican lawmakers who wanted to lift the trade embargo on Cuba that the White House would never go along. Bush's position was based on policy, not politics. Rove promised, but the congressman didn't buy it. The Cuban-American lobby is key to Bush's hope of winning Florida in 2004, not to mention his brother's tough re-election bid in November to be the state's governor. Says anti-embargo Republican Jeff Flake 
of Arizona, everyone recognizes there is a political element to this. And to almost everything else Rove is involved in, Rove has already drawn up plans for the 2004 re-election campaign, White House sources have told time. Ken Melman, his deputy, will leave the White House to be the official campaign manager. I wonder if he's kin to Bud Melman. But Rove will run things from inside, following the example of James Baker, who managed Ronald Reagan's 1984 re-election effort as White House chief of staff. Like Baker's as a senior White House official, Rove wants to be as much about policy as politics. How do you like that, huh? Guess what? What? We have a special guest. The Beast. Right. And? Yeah. He's so sick. I don't well, I don't want to, I don't want, so why didn't you just call and say that? He did. And, he wanted, so and he wanted his food. He wanted his food. Well, right. how, so what have you been eating the last two days? Uh, chicken soup. <laughs> Good. Now, so hop on that scale. Has he been I on did. the scale yet? I did. I have and? bad news. What? I gained two pounds. Well, you sound like crap. How are you going to do the ball game tomorrow? I have no, and plus I'm doing the pregame show and the postgame show. Cause Josh is it is a home late. game, I hope? It is a home game. Oh, thank God for that. Vassar, who are they playing? UConn. Like I said, Vassar. And maybe maybe the second half they could play Temple again sounds good to me. The Jewish boys. I think that Carl Rove is a roving maniac. So you gained two pounds back, but that's, don't blame Balance for Life for that. He went off of the thing. He went on that no, cruise exactly. again. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a special place in hell. I don't want to curse your parents. I'm sure they're nice people, or maybe they're not. But there's a special place in hell for people that, like, uh, you know, kill uh, young people like you with food. And local. This is Sports Radio 560. UAM. Friday, you bastard. Bustin' out, baby, out, baby, hot as a Texas drought. She'd be skinny if she'd stop popping the chocolates in her mouth. Millions of fans around the world tuning in and going nuts. Though a Siskel and an Ebert wouldn't give her two thumbs up. Check out Howard, Brendan Lawyer, and the purple-haired Kim. Bobby Trendy, her son Daniel, Sugar Pie, you know him. Critics say it's Cable's worst, yet it's number one ranked. That don't bother Anna none, she's laughing all the way to the bank. Yes, indeed, baby, she's got ratings that dazzle, so just save your Sunday night for Anna on the E-Channel. She got bigger humps than an Arabian camel, so just save your Sunday night for Anna on the E-Channel. Love the Bloodhound Gang, I'll tell you that right now, whatever happened to them? There's I'll tell you what happened to them. Huh? No, they got something new, but you see it in, in Europe when I was in Amsterdam oh, this summer, oh. I saw their new video. Huh? You just don't see it here. I should say you don't see it there because they don't show any videos there. Plus, where would you hear their music in uh, South Florida? What station? Uh, my car. 250-some-odd votes if this thing ever changes again. 254, who would you prefer to see as leader of the free world today? Bill Clinton, 142. George W., 49. Tony Blair, 43. Al Sharpton stuck on 20. Good. Here's that. And so is the beast uh, okay? He sounds terrible. And he, it's a good oh, thing. he sounds and looks terrible. But, see, that's good that he came in. I mean, particularly terrible. Well, you follow what I'm saying? Yes. Because if he wouldn't have come in, we'd have said, oh, yeah, sure, likely story. He's sick, and he's making excuses, and he's gone off the wagon, et cetera, and so on. But his, uh, his parents are giving him the whammy, okay? Right. Stay away from your parents, beast, okay? Just take their money. Just tell them, send me a check. This cruise business that made him sick and it made him gain back two pounds, we hadn't had one weigh-in with him where he hadn't lost at least a pound. Right. Am I right about that? Right. If, if my math is right, he had lost, uh, what was it, 55 pounds? 
Or is that um, wrong? I got it right here. 55 pounds, that's right. Right. So now it's 53, which is still pretty good, you know, when he started 284. But he's got a long way to go. He's about two feet tall. you got to understand he's a human bowling ball. It's a good thing he doesn't have three holes in him. Or he might, you, you might wind up uh, heading down the old alley. But that, that'll show you. Stay off those cruise ships. Stay away from your parents. Stay away from people who want you to... See, I don't understand that. You think that his parents would be happy he's losing the weight we're keeping him alive. Maybe his parents want to get rid of him. <laughs> huh? Aren't they Jewish parents? Don't, aren't they compelled to feed their children to Oi! death? Like oh, that's right. I forgot died. about that, yeah. yeah it's, it's, the old, it's, the, it's the push with one hand and pull away from the other so they can say, Oh, you're so fat. And S-S, eat, eat. Yeah, that's the old Jewish thing, you know. <laughs> no, seriously. Oh, you're so fat. Here, eat some of this. That's why my friend's dead. Because he was Jewish. Because of his mom. Look for the QAM van from 1101 at TK Performance Center. Right now, as a matter of fact, good that you're doing this now. Thank you. You're welcome, Miguel. Even if you do live in Dade County, putz. Located at the Home Depot Shopping Center, corner of Red Road in the Palmetto and Miami Lake. Stop by to play the mediocre Budweiser Super Prize Machine, but you'll see the lovely Miguel, okay? Maybe give him like a little tickle on the chin. See what happens. Join Joe Costello 3 to 5 at Publix at 1395 Southeast 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale for the Mike's Hard Lemonade NASCAR giveaway. Boy, that's for real men, you know it. Mike's Hard Lemonade and NASCAR. You put that together and you got real men. Stop by to win prizes, register to win two tickets to the Homestead Speedway race in November, and then tomorrow, the really big appearance of the weekend. These are just kind of like teasers, you know. The big appearance of the weekend tomorrow, George, will be at Jared Jewelers. What? At 13... At 1630 North Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale, 1 to 3. He never heard of him, but when he walks in there, they'll say, Hey, look at that. Who's that? <laughs> no, they'll say, Who the hell are you? Stop by to win prizes and register to win a trip for two to see the Dolphins pound the crap out of the Jets in New York. That's tomorrow from uh, 1 to 3 at Jared Jewelers in Fort Lauderdale. So we got a heavy-duty weekend of all kinds of good stuff coming up. And speaking of the weekend, <laughs> here's that story about beer more healthful than, uh, healthful than wine, which you didn't believe me. For years, brewers have been trying to match claims that red wine can prevent heart attacks. Now, there's research showing that moderate consumption of beer, one long neck a day for women and two for men, is even better than wine. One long neck? <laughs> that, that's what it says here in the Fort Worth uh, Star-Telegram. What about a wide mouth? How about a big... Rectum! Nothing would make the industry happier, and in June, a national group of beer wholesalers presented professors from Harvard and the University of Texas Southwestern to journalists to publicize the favorable studies. Exposure in the Wall Street Urinal and on CNN, NBC's Today Show, and CBS's The Early Show followed throughout the summer. The researchers stressed that going beyond moderation even slightly causes the benefits to start decreasing and triggers the host of other <coughs> problems. No one should condone binge drinking, and if you have liver problems, you shouldn't drink at all. Cautions Dr. Norman Kaplan, a hypertension specialist in Dallas who teaches at UT Southwestern. Kaplan has been reviewing the medical literature on the subject for years and insists that a little bit of alcohol and beer specifically is a good way to be healthy. Why less for women? They get a bigger kick out of alcohol, he says. Just ask George. Yeah. And two servings is the upper limit for a man. A serving is 12 ounces of beer, a four-ounce glass of wine, or one-and-a-half ounces of 80-proof distilled liquor. Oh, now listen, that don't, that even don't get you to the uh, tailgate party, much less uh, through the game. Twelve ounces of beer? Not nothing. Kaplan, who enjoys both beer and wine himself in moderation, says nobody has scientifically determined just what makes beer somewhat superior to wine. Could be the malt, could be the barley, could be the folates. A vitamin that's known to provide protection against... Ah! Here we go. Dr. Macaulay Kilmer Culkin uh, Schmendrick. Your buddy. 
could be the folates, a vitamin that's known to provide protection against homocysteine, a protein that's been associated with more heart attacks. See, instead of drinking beer, just take folic acid, that high folic uh, complex like I do. Yeah. And get your homo level down to like about 7, like minus 7.2, I believe, which is a real good number. Or you can just drink a bunch of beer. See, one thing about those capsules I take, it won't make you any fatter than you already are. But drinking that beer... <laughs> There was evidence for the past 30 years that beer was beneficial, but none convinced him more than a study by Kaiser Permanente, published in 1999 issue of the American Journal of Cardiology. It showed that moderate beer drinkers had fewer heart attacks than people who drank equivalent amounts of wine or whiskey, he said. Unlike other research, it, see, Bella Lugosi knew something. That's why he never drank the wine. Unlike, uh, what's his name, Malcolm McDowell? <laughs> Unlike other research, it more carefully matched study participants so it wouldn't be skewed by, say, heavy smoking beer binge drinkers and wine drinkers who exercised more regularly and went to the doctor more often. So a little bit of beer, like uh, two long necks for men, one for you women out there. That's before you get in the car on the way to the game, and then like 50 or 60 in the uh, parking lot during the tailgate, which starts about well, 8, eight 9 in the morning. And then when the kickoff is at 1 o'clock, by that time, <laughs> what difference does it make? And then on your drive home... <laughs> Oh, you know, I remember one time several years ago when the Panthers were still playing in Miami uh, at the Miami Arena. Yeah. And one night some asshole driving a pickup uh, or a van or something just about wiped me out. Whatever the hell, at the, is it Flagler Street? No, it's not Flagler Street. One of the side streets there going back to 95. Just about wiped me out. And then all of a sudden the window were, oh, sorry, Neil. <laughs> it was one of our listeners just <laughs> drunk off his ass, man. Just just drunk as a skunk. Oh, sorry, Neil. <laughs> How about them Panthers? Giving new meaning to the word coverage, a Pennsylvania lawmaker has introduced a bill to require insurance companies to pay for hair pieces in certain cases. Oh! State Representative Anthony DeLuca says to pay should be covered by insurance if hair loss is caused by a medical condition. DeLuca's bill notes to pays are often prescribed for cancer. See, as opposed to like in Moe's case, just old age. DeLuca's bill notes to pays are often prescribed for cancer pay. And you know something before I go into that? You know, it's not that important. He was talking about his grandchildren. Today, my friend Mo. Yeah. Now let me ask you, how old do you think you'd be before you'd have grandchildren? Well, it depends on what kind of a family you got. Like right. in the south. Right. But I mean, like if your grandchildren are thirty, for example. In the well, south. I, I, have, I don't have any idea. No, seriously. In the if south, you can have uh, the grandchildren when you're thirty-five. Possible, yeah. Yeah. But I'm and talking Tom. about in in all likelihood, you know. If you're fifty. And let's say you had a kid when you were 25, okay, so the kid is 25. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very conceivable, right? Sure. But but if the, your grandchildren are like 20? Yeah. If the gan grandchildren are like 35? Well, I don't know. We're working on that. We're going to get that birthday come hell or high water. June 3rd. Carlos is working on that, by the way. He's researching this. And then, of course, we also have to find out if that's his real name. I never trust the Jews with two uh, first names, like Ted David, Howard David, Mogan David. I never, I never uh, buy that, you know? And you know how I feel about phony names on the radio. 278 votes on the poll. Who would you uh, like to see who prefer to... Uh, I can't even read this. Who would you prefer to have as leader of the free world? 279 votes. Bill Clinton, 154, 55%. George W. Bush, 54. 55% to 19. You know something? I'd like to see that as the next election. Right now. This November, let's have another presidential election. Let's forget about the election and all the other ones. And let's just have another presidential election before it's too late. Before they call them all off in the future. See, I think that's what they'd like to do. This band of gang robbers, of election stealers, of, uh, of uh, electoral manipulators. I would love to see uh, another election pronto right now, an emergency election for president. Clinton against Bush. 
We'll just, we'll just this one time, we'll waive that restriction in the Constitution, that amendment that says you can't be president more than two terms. We'll just waive that like right now. Can he get surgically altered, change his name, and come back as somebody else? He could be Hillary. <laughs> no, don't you understand? He could be Hillary, but still him. He could be Hillary in his body. Hillary. It, it's kind of like, in fact, maybe he could take her heart. No, that's not good. She's oh, got a heart of stone. That's, I forgot about that. I'm thinking of Guiding Light, you know, where Rick Bauer took Richard's, uh, Prince Richard's heart. And now poor Reva, she's shrieking and screaming and carrying on there in front of the judge. I'm guilty. Fry my ass. Yeah. Well, that show is, uh, they're really getting carried away. They're desperate. They're just desperate. In fact, that's why they had Ben running around in his underwear. Let's see that again. Twelve minutes after 11. Don't forget Tom Brady and Jay Fiedler. It's the big showdown this weekend at the PP Park. Any predictions on the final score? Now, Carlos is a big Dolphin fan. He's probably, like, on the edge of his seat about this. Yeah. Any predictions on the final score? It's going to be close. It's probably going to be a shootout. Uh, 37-35. Oh, we'll take it. Patriots will take that. On a last-minute <laughs> field goal by Adam Benateri. Oh! All right. 64 yards. Breaking Tom Dempsey's record. Or Olinda. Hey, by the way, Joe Costello went to school with Olinda Mar. Remember that, George? Yes, I do. He was in the same class. He said Olinda was hung like a butterfly. <laughs> That's what he said. He said he's had the tiniest penis he's ever seen in my in, in his life, in my life. Twelve minutes after eleven, whether you got a small penis or a big penis, your back is very important to you to kind of like hold it up, you know what I'm saying, and do things with it. And if your back isn't feeling good, probably part of the reason for that, or maybe all of the reason, is you're just not getting you a good, comfortable night's sleep night after night. And that's the signal, that's the message, that your old mattress has had it. Time to get you a great new mattress the smart way from Dial a Mattress, call 1-800-MATTRESS, and get the ultimate freedom of choice in brand names when you do business with these people. The best in the world. Not some off-brand that nobody ever heard of before. Serta, Sealy, Simmons, and King Coral. And whatever you do, don't rip that little tag off of there. You'll go to jail. No store can match their selection of their exceptionally low prices, and because Dollar Mattress has the deepest selection of great brand name mattresses, there's no bait and swish. Exactly the one you order is the one you get, and you get it in no time at all. You know how it works. You get that uh, great delivery deal. You pick the day, any day, seven days a week when you're going to be home, and the two-hour window. This is almost unheard of because most times you're waiting for something to be delivered. You know how it works. You sit around waiting all day. They'll say, oh, between noon and 6 or between 9 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, and you wait, and sometimes they don't even show up. Dial a mattress will be there. They'll take away the crappy old bedding, set up the brand new one, and they give you a 30-day in-home comfort trial to test it out the real way by sleeping on it. Make sure it's the right one for you. Call them right now. Believe me, you'll thank me for calling Dial a Mattress. 1-800-MATTRESS. That's 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Or check them out on the web at mattress.com. Live and local. This is 560. The radio's all yours now. QAM. Thank you, baby. Why the hell am I always getting raped by men? You have a nice back, Mo. Why, sure, but I don't ever get raped by broads. Women don't rape men. Eh, that's too bad. There is such a thing as an attractive man, you know, Mo. What do you know, you crumb? What are you, some kind of fairy? Why don't you go be another monkey for the organ grinder down the hall? I'm not a queer. What do you know about being queer, you moron? I've been raped enough to know the difference. Sorry, Mo. Now, see here, we're supposed to be talking about sports here, not about good-looking men. Just men in general and nothing else. This is sports radio over here. We love men. <laughs> but I got to say, have a perk. <laughs> like just the other night, I saw this commercial on overnight TV, where this guy was crawling out of the ocean, see? <laughs> on this island filled with strippers that are brought. They looked okay. But this guy in the commercial, I would say, in an objective sort of way, he was pretty cute. <laughs> You're laughing. You're laughing. Did I give you clearance to laugh? Was this for a script, you ain't, Mo? 
Yeah. And the guy was crawling on the island? You thought he was cute? Yeah, that's right. Now, you asked me to be objective. I acquiesce, and you still make fun of me. You want to get fired again? Huh? That guy there had pinchable jowls. So you were so goddamn funny. That was George. The organ grinder's monkey? You know, maybe I am in love with that mango munching speak. He certainly does make the ring on my nose glow like a neon rainbow. Hmm. One thing he fired must have been just a reaction to suppress the truth about me being. But I can't let anybody know how much I want to enter his face. Get out of here, all you. You're all nuts. You're all... Hey, I can't move. Look at the bulge in your pants, Mo. Oh, no. If I move the wrong way, I'll... Huh? Hey, everybody. Mo messed his pants. Do, 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 do you crumb? Ow! That white Mo. And I think I'm allergic to mangoes, by the way. And I'm allergic to mango tree bark. There's a mold Ooh. that only grows on those. 1118 at 560 WQAM. Happy Friday to you. We got the mad dog at one who's going to be all whipped up about that big game. It's the game of the season so far oh! on Sunday. No mistake about that. The Humper will be along three to seven. We got Hank, and of course, because it's Friday already again, you got the Dave Wonstad show five thirty to six thirty as part of that whole business. And then look what we got tonight. Oh, brother. Seven to ten o'clock. It's the Hooters. College football preview with Don Bailey Jr. and of course the unctuous, the terminally, uh, and then Eddie K. After that at 10 o'clock and overnight ESPN Radio because the Dirty Boys don't work on Friday night. Let's just say they don't work Friday night because Joe's got to get up early tomorrow morning to do his NASCAR show. Okay, that's a good excuse. Good sure, makes sense. Charges may be filed against radio station employee for stunt. I just yanked this off the uh, fax machine that you just faxed me. A radio station employee may face criminal charges for allegedly soliciting a 17-year-old boy to walk naked in public so he could win concert tickets. Authorities are trying to determine whether charges should be filed against the teen or anyone at radio station KPWR-FM in Los Angeles uh, with conspiracy and soliciting a person to engage in a lewd act in public. The teen was arrested Tuesday on suspicion of intentional and public exposure of one's private parts, police officer Jack Richter said. The boy's name was not released because of his age. These stunts should be a matter of common sense and responsibility by the participants and the station itself, Richter said. In this case, however, the behavior was not only audacious, but illegal. Police said the youth was encouraged by Joe Grande, a steep reporter for Burbank Station morning radio personality Big Boy. Grande is known for getting people to perform what the station calls a dare of the day. Police said Grande was in the San Fernando Valley when he asked people to do something crazy to win tickets to a concert by the band P3. While at the location, Grandy announced on live air that he wanted somebody to move all their clothing and walk to all four corners of the intersection naked, Richter said. The teen who told station workers he was 18 offered to perform the stunt, police said. Police said they got complaints of a man exposing himself to a school bus and the families driving to school. Station officials could not be reached for comment immediately. How do you like that, huh? Wouldn't you think that these guys would learn, but that's how desperate they are, folks, to try to get an audience. Mm -hmm. Desperate. Desperate. Kind of like that payphone challenge thing, you know? Yeah, I sure missed that. Yeah. Drive home with us today. And you know what? We should really play this in light of that story you read earlier. Play what? Beer is good for you. Let's not. We don't have it. Oh, good. But we do have, uh, I, li I like Chinese. We do? Yeah, I got the Monty Python thing right here. Oh, that's right. Uh, let's do that in honor of Rick and Suds, okay? And the... Uh, Legions of people out there who are missing them badly. I sure hope it's on this Monty Python, because I'm not going to, uh, I haven't played any of these in a long time, you know what? Maybe we can get Monty Python singing Beer is Good for You. 
I like. I, I bet you it's not even on this disc. Oh, I like no. Chinese. Huh? I liked it. That was kind of cute. Anyway, this isn't too cute. It's a, a pretty good article, though, by Michael Elliott. The Lessons of Empire. It's in this week's Time Magazine. Oh, you're not going to be reading articles from Time Magazine, are you? Yeah. Yes. He says, as Bush considers colonizing Iraq, he ought to look at the last attempt. The photograph below. I wish you could see the photograph below. All these schleppers. Man, it looks like something out of the Stone Age. Sheikh Mahmoud with his men led revolts against British rule in Iraq. You ought to see this band of merry men. The photograph below of a fierce-looking group of men cradling antique machine guns comes from an old album in my home. It dates from about 1930, and its caption reads, Sheikh Mahmoud of Kurdistan surrendered to political officer Victor Holt, D.C., accompanied by FOMO. Sheikh Mahmoud was Mahmoud Barzani, chieftain of the famous Kurdish clan who led a series of revolts against British rule in Iraq after WW1. FOMO was Royal Air Force Flight Officer Max Oxford, my late father-in-law. Max had splendid adventures in the service of the British Empire, everywhere from Central Africa to the South China Sea, but he always had warm memories of his years in Iraq, though this may be because he learned the noble sport of pig-sticking there. We've got pictures of that, too. I suspect, however, that his affection for Iraq was a rarity. Britain's attempt to rule there was a disaster. At a time when broad-chested conservative believers in American power and dewy-eyed Wilsonian internationalists contemplate a new imperial adventure in Iraq, it's worth recalling what happened last time. In the carve-up of the Ottoman Empire at the end of WW1, London thought that the best way to secure routes to India, the jewel in its imperial crown, was to dominate Mesopotamia. To that end, the treaty at the close of the war cobbled together Iraq from three Ottoman provinces, one Kurdish, one Sunni Muslim, and the other Shiite Muslim. The British moved in under a League of Nations mandate. They didn't have a clue. In 1920, a full-scale revolt broke out. By one account, Britain lost 450 in the rebellion. Other sources put the figure higher. Very quickly, the British public, weary of endless war and shocked by reports that the RAF routinely bombed women and children in Kurdish villages, turned against the intervention in Iraq. By the time the British slunk home in the 30s, Iraq's brush with imperialism seemed over. Or perhaps not. George Bush's speech to the U.N. last month explicitly cast America's Iraq ambitions in terms much wider than the removal of Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. Bush contemplated nothing less than a remaking of the Middle East into an area of democracy and economic freedom. The president looked forward to a day when people of Iraq can join a democratic Afghanistan and a democratic Palestine inspiring forms throughout the Muslim world. Who could argue with that? Yet there's a problem with Bush's vision. It'll have to be imposed from the outside. To be sure, in the past, American imperialist practice has usually been more benign than Britain's. The RAF bombed Iraqi villages that were late paying their taxes, which even the colonial office in London thought was a bit much. And America's ostensible motives today are pure, so long as we don't mention oil. Liberty for the Iraqi people, said Bush, is a great moral cause. It doubtless is, but just as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so imperialism is in the mind of the imperialized. The motive of imperialists is irrelevant. France justified its past colonial policies by a mission to civilize. What does matter is that imperialism means rule by others. In the end, as the old colonial powers came to understand, that breeds resentment and costs both money and young lives. Today's neo-imperialists claim that if the U.S. could rebuild West Germany and Japan after WW2, it can rebuild Iraq. But the cases could hardly be more different. Both West Germany and Japan had fixed national identities. Iraq does not. Both nations, Germany especially, had memories of democratic institutions. Iraq does not. Neither Japan nor Germany had bitter memories of prior attempts to impose colonial rule. Iraq does. Nor has Washington said precisely how Baghdad will be transformed into Omaha on the Tigris. Bush has signaled that Washington has no intention of doing the job alone. He looks to the prospect of the U.N. helping to build a government that represents all Iraqis. But there's scant evidence that the administration's yet thinking about what an international effort to create a new Iraq would entail or how to canvas outside help. A free Iraq and a prosperous Arab world is in everyone's interest, and unseating Saddam would be a good start down that road. It's what follows that's tricky. 
The lesson of history is that reforms succeed best if they well up from within a nation, not when they're thrust upon it from outside. If the administration seriously thinks otherwise, it would be nice to know what lessons it's learned from the failed imperialism of the past, and that's not just about the finer points of pig-sticking, writes Michael Elliott in this week's Time magazine. Ever done any pig-sticking? No. Frogs. Never stuck a pig? No. 27 after 11 at 560 WQM. Here's something that's good for you, okay? Maybe even help a pig. Pop a little oleomid in its puss and watch it just squeal with <coughs> delight. That's right. Oleomid is a great new product. Just like I said, it's a little soft gel capsule. Easy to take, but a lot of good things are in there. The best olive oil in the world is in each capsule, along with vitamins, minerals, and herbals. And there's a separate concoction designed to help each different part of your, each different aspect of your health. There's one specifically designed to help your heart, one to help lower your blood pressure, one to keep your cholesterol low, your prostate, your uh, circulatory system, your digestive and endocrine system, your skin, your bones. There's even a product to help your mind, all using the benefits of the finest, the purest olive oil you'll find anywhere with all these other good things in there, too. And Oleomed makes products for men and ladies as well. Picks them up today at Whole Food Markets, Walgreens, Sedanos, and Navarro Pharmacies. If you'd like to find out more about how it works and what it can do for you, just call the toll-free number and ask to your heart's content. Call 1-866-OLEOMED. That's 1-866-O-L-E-O-M-E-D. And don't forget, you can order their products and get more information on their website, too, at oleomedamerica.com. We're Sports Radio 560. QAM. If you blow too much, you're in trouble. Get ready to go back to the beach in Survivor Thailand. Shocking. Amazing. You won't believe your eyes. It's the show everybody's going to be talking about. There's a new twist, and it's something you thought you'd never see on television. Those kids from Friends are losers. That Ross guy wouldn't survive this for five minutes. Because it's big. It's scary. It's really, really unexpected, too. It's the show everybody's going to be talking about. You already said that. Oh, sorry. Survivor Thailand. It will astound you. You'll be overwhelmed. Dumbfounded. What is it? You'll be fascinated, captivated, mesmerized, stupefied, hypnotized. Enough already. It's the show everybody will be talking about. I already heard that twice. Oh, sorry. But it's true. If you Squeamish, easily nauseated, a big baby. Watch anyway, because everybody's going to be talking about For the love of peace! Survivor Thailand. Shocking. Amazing. Forget it! Thursday nights on CBS. Television will never be the same. Yeah, right. No, really. Whatever. I'm serious. Bye-bye. There's must-see TV. Then there's you really got to see it TV. You are an idiot. Possibly true, but this is amazing. You lost me. I wouldn't watch it now if you paid me. Oh, you'll be watching. No, I won't. Yes, you will. You'll see. It's going to be big. I wouldn't ever turn on CBS again. Big, big, big. Yeah, big like your mouth. 1132 at 560 WQM. We got 313 votes. Who would you prefer to have as the leader of the free world today? Bill Clinton, 181. 57.8%. George W., 57. 18.2%. Tony Blair, 50. And Al Sharpton, 25. Al's kind of slowed down a little bit. Because I guess all the Schwarzes have voted at least twice that we have in the audience. Don't forget, 4 o'clock tomorrow morning, set your VCRs, PBS, WPBT Channel 2, The Man Who Knew, the frontline show about John O'Neill, the FBI agent, uh, rest in peace, who was really out of the hot on the trail of Osama Yamama and was the only one who uh, was well aware of the fact that there were al-Qaeda uh, cells inside this country and screamed and yelled and hollered. And, of course, the rest of the FBI didn't like his attitude. You know, they thought he was a little bit out of control. 
And so they did everything in their power to finally uh, force him out. When in doubt, they forced him out. And then he takes a job as the head of, uh, head of uh, security in the World Trade Center and starts his job on 9-11 of last year. So won't see him no more. Actually, he got out of the out of the second tower and he went. He turned around, and went back in to help some people, and that was that was the end of him. Good show, great show. It's on PBS four o'clock. You won't you won't remember to tape it. No, I already forgot. Four o'clock tomorrow morning, okay? So when you go to bed tonight, put on like a six-hour tape. Just roll it. Put it on PBS and roll it. Idiot. Martha Stewart resigns from NYSE board. Now let's see. Did the beast take his sacks and everything, or what? Yeah, he took them. All three of them? No, the, the today's one. So what's going to happen with that other food? We're just going to slop the hogs with it. Martha Stewart, the style guru and former Wall Street poker, now under investigation for religious insider trading, resigned from the board of the New York Stock Exchange yesterday. Stewart, who heads big board listed Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia Inc., which is now, uh, what is it, about six bucks, quit citing the rigors of her corporate life, New York Stock Exchange member Richard Grasso said. We're this, this is, what is this in? Newsday? Man, my dog could write it better than this. We're sad to lose Martha Stewart has built a brand and company admired around the world, Grasso said. Our board will miss Ms. Stewart's counsel and insight. Grasso told reporters yesterday morning before the NYSC monthly board meeting, Stewart submitted a resignation letter. She had served on the board for four months. When asked if Stewart jumped from the board or was pushed, Grasso said her departure was voluntary. He also declined to say whether Stewart's departure was in any way linked to the insider trading probe. As we all know, Stewart's under investigation by the Justice Department for a sale of those nearly 4,000 shares of Imphone Systems, Inc. Uh, those shares the day before the stock began to plummet on negative regulatory news. In other words, the FDA said, take your row. Uh, what was the name of that drug? Are you 46? That was not what it was. What was it? No, that's another one. <laughs> See, that, that sticks in your mind. See, you don't know the real name of that either, and I couldn't pronounce it. Also, I got some uh, some gay banter here. I think we've been letting the audience down on that lately. Including that one guy who wants to hear the gay banter on the show. This is from Out Magazine, and I got two pieces here which tie in together. Remember Brendan Lemon? No. Brendan Lemon, who I think is the uh, what is editor in chief of Out Magazine? Yeah, about a year ago, and he wrote this column about his uh, boyfriend is a uh, major league baseball player, but didn't name him. Okay. Yes. And there, were, there was actually some discussion on a radio station about that, which is shocking because WQAM being the all-jock, you know, mm -hmm. radio station is so homophobic that it's terrifying, especially in the morning. But at any rate, there was really some discussion about that. And then, of course, we had the, the former UN, the tight end for the Jets, that asshole, or, or the Giants, rather, carrying out about, well, you know, if there's was somebody was gay, we'd have a nervous breakdown. We don't want to be taking showers with no fags. And they said that on the Howard Sperm show and then tried to cover up his uh, tracks. You know what I mean? Squirt, squirt. Those tracks. So anyway, Brendan Lemon writes, in this month's, the October issue of Out Magazine, coming out has been long presented as the defining drama of gay life, the moment from which one's identity flows. While there are as many coming out stories as there are gay and lesbian and bi uh, individuals, we should remember in this national coming out month. Did you know that was coming out month? No, I didn't. It's not too late, George. There are two ways in which they're all alike. <laughs> they all require bravery and they all require time. These facts were brought home to me lately when I spoke to the MTV on-air personality Dave Holmes about his coming-out story, which was written by our talented senior editor, Jeffrey Epstein. I was struck by the fact that although Holmes has wanted to come out for much of his MTV career, it took a couple of years to line things up at the Gay Friendly Network. 
If it takes someone in Holmes' profession a while to come out, imagine the road for someone in pro-team sports whose vestiges of homophobia are acutely analyzed by Patricia Neal Warren in this issue. Warren writes about a topic that's been part of my life intensely since May 2001 when I published an editor's letter on the matter. I'm speaking of my friend, the brave pro-baseball player. I say friend rather than boyfriend because while we're still close, we are no longer a couple. Aww. Note to single gay sports fans, I doubt he'll be showing up at your local meat market anytime soon. It may surprise some people to hear me laud his courage. In the original letter, did I, didn't I ask him to come out? Didn't I tell him that he would find more support than he imagined? Didn't I write that letter because I wanted to make my life easier? How ironic it is that the letter made my life more challenging. I asked the athlete to rearrange his identity, and in so doing, I rearranged my own. I became the ball player's boyfriend, and if that designation has been invigorating and life-changing, it has just as often been wearing and absurd. The absurd part has been essential for me to keep in mind because every time I'm tempted to complain, I think of what people like my friend go through on the field, experiences that the former player, Billy Bean, interviewed for this issue, who lives in um, Florida, by the way, in South Florida, has described movingly since coming out. I think of how much courage it takes to maintain your composure in any environment where the generalized sights are on, uh, slights are ongoing. What is all that racket out there? Are they working on the patios again out here? Maniacs! Cut the noise, goddammit! Can you hear that? No. And now we got sirens going on out there. Sounds like the end of the world here. When I recently gave my friend support in the area, uh, in this area, he thanked me but added, it's the people who get through daily life in the face of material hardship who are heroic to me. I think he's mistaken to minimize his virtues, as you'll discover from reading his personal essay here, which I'm going to read in a minute. Chief among them is the ability to communicate. While he and I have talked about the issues he, he explores many times, he wrote the piece entirely unassisted. Wow, if he does his autobiography someday, the media will love the off-the-field stories. His former affair with a current household name pro football player should by itself be a feast for talk radio. Should I read that sentence again? Please. His former affair with a current household name pro football player should itself be a, uh, be a feast for talk radio. But I think the bigger surprise will be his acts of courage. I realize that this is a reversal of the expected thinking. Are we supposed to withhold our applause till the performer arrives center stage? Generally, yes, but not here. What's more, I'm going to say that whatever the benefits of that discussion in my original letter helped touch off about exclusion, tacit or official in athletics, and whenever our varying views and however central gain it should be to any individual's life, I was insensitive to ask the player to come out last year. I've grown to realize that even if he never decides to reveal himself, that'll be just fine with me, and that if he finally does so, I'll be first in line at home plate. How do you like that, huh? You think he'll be sliding in? Into what? 11.40. Rectum. At 5.60 WQAM. Is there still anybody out there who's been listening to us rant and rave about sports books who isn't with the best, who's not plunging at VIPsportsbook.com? Well, if you're not with them, you better listen very carefully. There are a lot of ads going around these days for other sports books, but do some research before you hand over your hard-earned money to some eighth-world sports book like in uh, Guatemala. Let me help you out. VIPsportsbook.com is the only book to be unanimously endorsed by the industry watchdogs. They're Dutch-based and one of the first online sports books. So if you want to go on a roll of a lifetime, you want to be uh, working with a sports book that's uh, the best going. VIPsportsbook.com is the one. This football season is uh, re reaching like fever height this uh, week, this weekend. Make no mistake about it. And so be with the best. VIPsportsbook.com. The easiest thing to do is open your account online. You get, you say, 15% cash sign-up bonus just for opening the account online. And they've got the highest parlay odds you'll find anywhere is up to 2,001. Their phone number is 1-866-VIP-BETS. It's toll-free, 1-866-VIP-BETS. But the best deal, like I said, is to sign up online and get that 15% cash bonus at VIPsportsbook.com. VIPsportsbook.com, where you are the VIP. This is Sports Radio 560 QAM. 
You're gay. Wow, they're really comfortable. I'm not so sure yet. I like the way they make my butt look. And yours, too. Thanks. Gay jeans. Mine are still in the closet. I take mine out dancing. Mine come off in a flash. Gay jeans. In tight, really tight. And be my bitch tonight sizes. Mm, naughty. Make it your choice tonight. It's 1143 at 560 WQAM. 330 votes on that poll. Who do you prefer to see as the leader of the free world today? Free world being uh, very dubious at this point. Bill Clinton, 195. George W., 60. Tony Blair, 50. And Al Sharpton, 25. A Voice from Inside is the name of the article in uh, Out Magazine. It says, last year the editor of this magazine, Brendan Lemon, wrote a column asking his then-boyfriend, a well-known pro baseball player, to come out. Here at last, the athlete himself tells us why it's so difficult to do so. I was just looking. I was going to tell you who wrote the article, but obviously there's there's no name on it. There ain't no name. Hmm. It says, as I've watched and listened to the discussion about gay pro athletes over the past year, I've often thought of a slight variation on something Winston Churchill once said, never have so many cared so much about so few. Since I'm one of those few, a professional baseball player who's drawn emotionally and sexually to men, I found the endless talk a little surreal. Can people really be that interested in my private life? Yes. With millions out of work, a group that, as I write, may swell to include striking ball players. See, this was written before they uh, settled the strike. With the prospect of American servicemen and women being sent to their deaths in Iraq, with the smoke of the World Trade Center tragedy still stinging our eyes, surely we can focus our thoughts on something other than me and my kind. Even as I say this, however, I know why this shift is unlikely. America remains a puritanical country, full of judgment of people who cannot view homosexuality as simply a fact of life. Moreover, America is fascinated with sex and secrets. And the idea of a celebrity in men's team sports having a secret, being gay, is simply too enticing not to talk about. We look to sports to distract us from the real world of war and strife for something manageable and safe, even if coverage of sports in America for a long while now has included not only the orderly happenings on the field, but the private chaos off it. Athletics, we like to tell ourselves, offers a sanctuary, except when they do not. Baseball, for example, has been brutally exclusionary, something that today's fans, most of whom grew up after the Jackie Robinson era, tend to forget. Baseball's history is based on an often embellished past, on collective stories that became hardened into a mythology that is sometimes soothing and sometimes grotesque. Baseball has rarely been a haven for those who want to devote themselves to the group yet maintain a fully realized identity. If you want to be a professional and help the team win, yet ache also to be yourself, you don't always feel supported. In fact, it's often the reverse. What do I mean? Well, for one thing, I don't think my teammates realize that when they use words like faggot, they're transmitting a message that exclusion, or since gay guys are already in a clubhouse, prejudice still has a place in the game, that the endeavor is not based primarily on merit and performance. You think that with all the verbal abuse we hear from the stands, something that comes with the territory and we all learn to deal with, paging John Rocker, or not to deal with, we wouldn't have to hear the same stuff in a clubhouse. I know that insults are a form of male intimacy, but shouldn't some stuff be out of bounds? I understand that when players make cracks about faggots, they don't think they're referring to guys often within earshot like me. And when some of them say they're terrified of faggots looking at them in the showers, it doesn't occur to them how juvenile they sound. Oh, kind of like Governor Bush. They sound worse than juvenile. They sound pathetic, even if their fear of being looked at is unfortunately very real. Unless you're wearing a blindfold, everybody notices everybody in the locker room in a completely inevitable way. And just because you see your naked ass doesn't mean I want to touch it. To suggest otherwise is to cast gay men in a stereotypical role as sexual predators. We all have a pretty good idea of where the violent sexual behavior of pro-athletes takes place, and it rarely involves the closeted gay players. Even though I have to deal constantly with all the demoralizing and sometimes dangerous effects of homophobia, I don't mean to complain. I'm aware of how privileged I am to be doing something I love, to have succeeded at it, and to be well-paid, perhaps overpaid for my efforts. I'm also aware that my teammates' behavior might evolve if I came out. Though fewer players are homophobic than the world may now believe, some of them came from backgrounds in which gay men or lesbians are vilified. 
These players can be clueless about the presence of gay guys, even on their own team. I'm not sure even if I remove their blinders by pointing out the household name in pro football, for example, whom I, through a personal relationship, know is gay, that the homophobic uh, players would change their minds. After all, they would have to accept that there are faggots who are better, tougher athletes than they are. Contrary to expectation, I found that such attitudes have little to do with race or ethnicity. The only generalization I'll make about race in the clubhouse is that most of the players of color don't have to be told by exclusion whether tacit or official hurts. They may be rich and famous, but they weren't always rich and famous. Even though I'm not choosing to come out yet, I don't have to be silent. I'm not being silent now, and if I came out, I could shatter my silence forever. But if I come out before my career is over, a career that, barring injury, I hope to continue for a while because it's all too brief and therefore cherished, I would become the subject of such scrutiny that I'm not sure I could bear up. My game, not to mention my sanity, might suffer. Like a bat in response to an nasty inside pitch, I might crack. Why? Because sports is connected to people's fantasy lives. It taps powerfully into the irrational. If I came out, I would become a lightning rod for some of these intense emotions. Ask yourself, would you want to go through that? If I did come out and my playing suffered, then people would say, see, baseball wasn't ready for an openly gay player after all, when the truth is it's not a matter of whether baseball's ready, but whether the player in question is ready. I'm not there yet. The road to readiness, both personal and professional, is longer than expected. My reluctance to expose myself, that's a manner of speech, I guess, to a deep-sea degree of pressure is probably the main reason I haven't come out. I'm not sure that I have what it takes. Although I'm inspired by those who've displayed superhuman fortitude, I'm not sure I'm in their class. I'm not Jackie Robinson. Conversely, I'm not an extreme individualist like Alan Iverson or Dennis Rodman. I appreciate their brand of self-assertion, even though I think that sometimes their sorry behavior compels attention precisely because it corresponds to the chief identities that America seems to allow team sports individualists, especially if they're black, the criminal and the down. Though I'm sometimes fueled by anger, I'm neither a criminal nor a clown. With the help of a therapist and a few friends, I'm in the process of redefining my identity. I know that for many people, the identity question involves figuring out who I am. Even now, I'm sure there are some fans who think someone who is reflective about matters like identity and exclusion could only be player X or player Y. If we as athletes are expected to think about only the details of play, not wider social issues, to which I reply, remember Ali, remember Jabbar, we don't all head back home or to the hotel only to watch the highlight show. I certainly don't, especially when so many of the media types have been saying lately that nobody cares which top athletes are gay, if only. Contrary to popular assumption, there are a lot of very bright pro-athletes. Many of them downplay their smarts so as not to draw even brighter spotlight on themselves. We rarely betray what we really think, and I, for one, rarely talk about serious stuff even with my teammates. For us, as for most celebrities, telling an interviewer that, say, the death penalty is immoral is not the quickest way to a golden endorsement deal, not to mention a future seat in some broadcasting booth. But back to those larger questions of identity, I'm trying to find a place in my life for my sexuality, and this has sometimes been perplexing. To quote Walt Whitman, a writer I first encountered upon hearing the O Captain, O Captain speech in Dead Poets Society, I contain multitudes. I'm not only a closeted homosexual, I'm a closeted reader of the classics. Not surprisingly, my favorite books right now are The Odyssey and The Invisible Man. In other words, being gay is only a part of who I am. I'm also a baseball player, a friend, a family member, a teammate, a music lover, and many, many other things. And I'm a proud American, despite the horror I sometimes feel about all the hatred that still exists in this country and about our government's self-righteous bullying ways. Above all, I'm a human being. If I come out, I fear I'd be forever pigeonholed as the gay baseball player. No matter the excellence of my career statistics, that description, even if affixed well-meaningly, would become the first sentence of my obituary. While I admire the Navratilovas and the Luganises who made the brave choice, and despite what some cynics have suggested about people like them, a celebrity coming out is rarely an opportunistic career move, I'm still not sure whether I myself am comfortable with that kind of resorting. I realize that if I don't come out while in uniform, I may be a disappointment to some people. That's fine. I've had a blessed life so far, and I'm not asking for anyone's sympathy. I ask of my critics only one thing. 
to keep in mind that you don't walk in my shoes playing in front of thousands of fervent fans, a few of them real wackos every night. My journey to the top's been exciting and amazing and amusing, especially amusing if I'm not filled with hilarity here, I assure you that I do have a sense of humor, thank God. The road has also been hard. Sometimes I find that I'm grateful for this difficulty. I've been fortunate to have had several extraordinary coaches and friends. Through them I've learned that suffering, however much it should not be sought, is the greatest teacher. Whenever my effort is not just to be gay but self-affirming in the public eye threatens to overwhelm me, I recall moments from my life involving those whose trials have been much greater than my own. I remember the words of a single mother who told me that watching my team on TV has helped distract her young sons from their sometimes meager dinner. I remember a prolonged hug I received from a disabled teenager struggling to maintain some dignity who I said was her favorite player, even if I wasn't as good as Barry Bonds. I remember a letter from a prisoner with AIDS who said that reading about my exploits made him once a day forget the pains of his illness and the bleakness of his sentence. It is no accident that my touchstones often involve children or teenagers. If I do come out while still at play, and that remains a possibility, it'll primarily be because I would like talented young athletes to feel they can succeed in team sports, even if they're gay or face any other, any other kind of obstacle. I agree with those commentators who say it would be easier in some ways for an athlete who entered the pro ranks when he was already out of the closet. Unlike me, he'd not be disrupting the powerful but unstated intimacy that already exists in the clubhouse. I'm confident that more and more brave young gay athletes in football and baseball and basketball and hockey and soccer will come along. If my story, too, veiled perhaps for some, has helped move the discussion forward an inch or two so that a less hysteria-charged, less ignorance-laden acceptance of all athletes, gay and straight, arrives sooner rather than later, I'll be satisfied that my struggle to come out, however odd and halting and sometimes cowardly, will not have been in vain. Writes uh, somebody. Some in gay guy. Sound huh? Some gay guy. Some gay guy who's not Barry Bonds. Okay, there you go, eh? McBride's wife jabs Jeb and woos bass. Jabs the Jebmeister, speaking of homophobia, speaking of a <laughs> cracker of an idiot. But you know something? I think that whole family is Teflon. You know, they used to talk about uh, the Teflon, this one, and Teflon Reagan. I think that whole Bush family are a bunch of Teflon clowns, if you ask me. Right. Put Slick Willie to shame. Adelaide Alex Sink, the millionaire former bank executive who aspires to be Florida's first lady, burst out of the state's political stage this week to assail the man her husband hopes to be. It was the South Florida debut for Bill McBride's best weapon in the fight to woo working women and other key Democratic voters. Making her most high-profile solo appearance since McBride became the Democratic nominee, Sink came to Miami to rail against Bush's education record and in an interview her op his opposition to abortion rights and his appointment of a man with traditional views on women to head the state social services agency. She said the Department of Children and Family Secretary Jerry Regeer thinks women should be barefoot and pregnant and questioned how women could support an anti-choice governor. He just has a poor record on women's issues, she said of Bush. Sink was dispatched to Miami amid growing concerns that McBride is not as strong in his party's South Florida base as he should be. A recent poll conducted for the Herald and the St. Pete Times showed Bush winning as much as 24% of the black vote, while he and McBride are in a dead heat among women. 24% of the black vote? I don't Both group. Oh. Both groups heavily favored McBride's primary rivals, former U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno and State Senator Daryl Jones, before McBride nearly won the nomination last month. Campaign strategists believe that Sink, the former high-power chief executive at Bank of America's Florida Operations, who has roots in North Carolina, North Carolina pig farm, can connect with an array of constituencies. I wonder if her North Carolina pig farm is anywhere near your pig farm. Pig sty. She goes from hog calling in North Florida to the swankiest business group, said McBride, campaign spokesperson Alan Stonecipher. Sink's zingers against Bush came as the governor unleashed an attack of his own in Tallahassee, holding a press conference to say that McBride's education plans would cost the state $2.5 billion over five years in lost federal funding. Bush cited the new Leave No Child Behind Act signed by his brother, President George W., and a letter sent by federal officials to Florida Secretary of Education Jim Horn. 
The federal government could withhold Title I money that goes to poor schools if states fail to use a test to track failing schools, the governor be saying. McBride's campaign ridiculed the governor's claim. It's just another bogus political charge by a guy who's trying to avoid defeat November 5th, Stonecipher said. Nothing in McBride's education plan jeopardizes any federal funding. McBride has criticized how the FCAT is being used, not the fact that the state uses an assessment test, Stonecipher said. So there you go, Mrs. McBride, Mrs. Sink. Why is her name different? I give up. I'm, I'm, I'm Not that I have an answer, I'm just curious. That seems to be uh, going on a lot these days, you know? Yeah. Maybe that could be their motto, think or swim, you know what I'm saying? But that business about 24% of you darkies in uh, South Florida going to vote for Jeb Bush, based on what? That, that, that's scary. And 50-50 and among women? Well, they're brainwashed. Oh, is that what it is? By religion. They know brainwashed. their place. It's the three Bs. Right. No, it's a, two Bs and a P. Brainwashed, barefoot, and pregnant. <laughs> brainwashed, barefoot, and birthing. 345 votes on the pool. Who would you like to have as the leader of the free world right now, if you had your choice? Bill Clinton, 201. George W., 67. Tony Blair, 51. And uh, it's changing again. And Al Sharpton, 26. Live and local. We are Sports Radio 560. QAM. This is Coach Don Schuler, and I sound like Bob Hope on acid. And I want to tell you, it's the 12 to 1 hour or whatever it is. Do, 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 do. And that's why I think the Jets will have a championship season. The Jets? And what did I tell you? You don't talk till I say you can talk. This is the beast. I said shut up, fatso. But you're like a father to me. You don't talk till I'm done talking. When I'm done talking, then you talk. Okay, I'll... Hey, beast, come here. What? Come here. I want you to meet a friend of mine, Mr. Golf Club. <laughs> Why, I ought to... <laughs> I'm going to show you the business end of this thing. Come here. <laughs> this court sentences you to 20 years in Oz. <laughs> You info. I uh, tore the tag off my mattress. Uh, looks like we'll be uh, bunkmates. Uh, the name's Mohawk David. Star of stage, screen, and paradise. What's yours? Nico Mikofe. Hmm, you got so tan. Right, thank you. Hey, get out. What are you doing? So powder and drill, uh, honey. I'm going to make you my woman. Hey, nobody. Stop it. God. God. Oh, God. Oh, pinky. All right, shower time. You got ten minutes. Well, it was to be safe in here. Yo, Bota. Yo, man. Get a load of our new Linda Blair over there. Hey, so is pretty. Oh, okay. Hey, don't embarrass me like that. Do you know who I am? Okay, man. Bend over and pick it up now. Well, me and All right. But I expect a written apology on my best part. Get that broom handle, Bota. Say hello, broom handle. I'll take you for all. The warden will see you now. Thanks. Well, Mr. David. Hello, Warden. Oh, Jack. Jack Warden. How can I help you? Well, you see, Warden. Yes? I keep getting raped. Oh, isn't that a shame? I'll look into it right away. Thanks, Warden. It's about time, somebody. But now drop your pad. Huh? I said drop your pad. This is Oz. Oh. Favors don't come cheap. Oh. Yo, yo, yo. Let's rape Mo. Radio Big Shot. Oh. That's how we pass the time. I'm away in the gay Do you have any idea what a magnificent production that bit is? I mean, that's Do just, I have any idea? I mean, that thing is just incredible. I mean, with all due respect ambiance. to your comb playing on the other one, which is pretty oh, damn good, but but this one, oh, two no. minutes and seven seconds of brilliance. Step and breadth. 
Unbelievable. And you'll be able to get it on uh, Boca Brian's uh, new CD, Restitution and Mo Bits Volume 1, which you can see the cover of on our website, neilrogers.com. And one of these days, very soon, you'll be able to actually click on and buy it there. Very soon, right? Very soon. You think he wants to put off making money? Like I said, any second, any minute. Just keep going back and checking on it there on the uh, website, neilrogers.com. In fact, the more you go back and check, the ha <laughs> happier Eric will be. That's right. Check frequently. Time Magazine also has a great article about our good, close, personal friends, the Irish Travelers. Ah. By Amanda Ripley in South Carolina, she says, On welcome exposure, the Irish Travelers dwell in a mysterious parallel universe temporarily invaded by one mother's scandal. The Irish Travelers of North Augusta, South Carolina, stopped their pickups in the middle of the road last week to commiserate over the outing of Madeline Gorman Toogood. The woman caught thrashing her four-year-old on a surveillance video in Indiana is also, as it turns out, an Irish Traveler. And though they didn't know her, they knew uh, they know what her arrest means. Fifteen minutes of grueling fame for a community that thrives on secrecy. I'm not going to tell you they're all honest good citizens here, says Mike, Mikey Boy Sherlock, 68, gesturing out toward his 3,000 fellow travelers who live in Murphy Village, the country's largest traveler community. Ever been there to a Murphy's Village? No, I wouldn't know where to find it, and neither, neither would anybody else. South Carolina? Ain't oh, far from you, I bet. There's a reason there's a South and a North Carolina. You got some people that I wouldn't trust with nothing I got, he said. But he says, and here law enforcement officials familiar with the travelers basically agree, you don't have no child abuse out here. What you do have is far more unusual, a group of roaming laborers who spend half the year painting houses around the country and then return to a self-contained anachronistic universe. The travelers arrange their children's marriages, and in front of country people, non-travelers, speak a Gaelic English dialect called Kant. Huh? Misli Shaijo means go away, the police are here. Misli Shaijo. Oh. Some have traces of Irish accents, though their ancestors arrived in the U.S. 150 years ago. Says Michael McDonough, one of the 30,000 travelers still in Ireland, who has worked with his U.S. counterparts, their sense of tradition is stronger than it is here. Many Irish travelers, once known as tinkers, moved to the U.S. to escape the potato famine. They started out as horse traders. Today, between 2,000 and 100,000 English, Scottish, and Irish travelers, nobody knows the real number, live in groups mostly in the southern U.S. They are reviled by some as con artists who prey on the elderly by overcharging for shoddy home repair jobs. Others insist that travelers are hard workers and have no more lawbreakers than any other community. Ninety-five percent of the travelers got what they got from busting their butts, says Jim Penn Sherlock, 50. Penn is Mikey Boy's brother. The travelers go by nicknames like One-Eyed Pete and Curly Joe since they share the same dozen surnames. <laughs> Sounds like Tennessee to me. Penn began his childhood in a tent but graduated to a mobile home and then a brick house, a common pattern among the more successful travelers. In Murphy Village, the rows of trailer homes are suddenly interrupted by ornate pink and white mansions. The traveler life is an odd composite of Old World and Nick World. Like most other travelers, Penn has a Madonna statue on his lawn. That's with a small M. His daughter was 14 when she married her 20-year-old fiancé and arranged match like 99% of the village marriages, he says. And like many other travelers, Penn never made it past sixth grade. But he drives a muscular black pickup with tinted windows, and the traveler women draw stairs when they go into town, dolled up with layers of makeup and halos of hair. In a traveler settlement near Fort Worth, Texas, where Tugut has lived, local non-travelers say a prepubescent... Say prepubescent boys carry wads of cash and drive their parents' flashy new cars. Some travelers are indeed yonks, the can't term for thieves. Six North Augusta travelers pleaded guilty last year to using fraudulent documents to buy cars. Two goods husband John is facing trial in Montana for allegedly duping elderly residents with faulty home repair work. Then again, North Augusta Police Chief Lee Weatherington has hired travelers to pave his driveway and paint his house. 
They did an outstanding job, he says. Locals call them gypsies and whisper about their dirty deals, but says Penn, we don't put our old folks in, re in rest homes. We don't have as many divorces. And when a woman gets raped or a bank gets robbed, law enforcement doesn't come to Murphy Village. Says Joe Livingston, a senior agent with the South Carolina State Police who's tracked the uh, travelers for two decades. It's really a paradox, the whole community. How do you like that, huh? Kind of strange. Kind yeah. of bizarre, I would say. Just like the gypsies. See, now you're saying that. They're going to get your ass when you go back up North Carolina next time. What? They're across the canal from you. What are you talking about? Oh, the travelers? Here's a fact that says, while I'm watching Prime TV last night, I saw no less than six jeb ads, but zero McBride. Why aren't they running McBride's ads? Don't they have enough money? I don't know. Give them some money. Send them a bag of money, okay? The more the merrier. We need help. Let's see. Uh, getting ripped by all uh, my Dolphin employees who work here. How about a big show? What? What? Oh, big shout to all the uh, dolphin scumbags. Okay, listen, New England Paul, just calm down, okay? Just relax. Well, just like with the phone calls, okay? Don't get carried away with the faxes. He says, I want to shut them up for the rest of the day. Thanks, New England Paul. Okay, well, screw them, okay, New England Paul, and get out of here. Well, let's see. Here's another fax. It says, well, it's not Mike Piazza. This guy's articulate, and he's a, uh, and Mike Piazza's a retard. Have a great weekend. And back at you. Have a great weekend. <laughs> yeah, that could be a giveaway. Yeah, the fact that the guy is articulate. Here's uh, one of our regular faxes, Alan, who says, I think you may find interesting a book called The Scarlet Professor by Barry Worth, W-E-R-T-H, Anchor Books, 2002. It's a highly acclaimed Smith College professor, or well, it's about, whose life was ruined by the gay witch hunts orchestrated by Eisenhower's postmaster general, Arthur Summerfield. It's a great account of America's moral fa uh, fanaticism. For a second there, I thought it said moral fascism. Well, either one, same thing. And here's another fact. Well, and it, uh, boy, the chronics are coming out today. It's a good sign, man. They're all still out there, even though it's just Uncle Neil doing bedtime stories and the C-SPAN of the year. And let me say it again, Mo. One thing we got you don't, an audience, huh? A measurable audience. That's right. Mine is measurable. And if mine is measurable, holy cow. Has uh, Carlos found his birthday yet? No. Not yet. June 3rd. Let's see. Here's one that says, Hey, George Haney, let me preface by saying that I have no intention of becoming a chronic faxer. <laughs> it's Gary, the Jerry, the ebullion guy from New York. Remember he called that day from New York? How could we yeah. forget? I thought, however, that Neil might want to mention the American Diabetes Association's Walk for Diabetes, which takes place this Sunday, October 6th. This is the primary means of private support for the fight against diabetes, and many of us are involved not only in the walk, but in organizing concurrent events as well. Your listeners can contact American Diabetes at 1-888-DIABETES. And on the net at www.diabetes.org slash walk. We all know the devastation caused by this disease, blindness, kidney and other organ dysfunction, and ultimately loss of life. With all the needs, causes, and demands on the time and resources, though we lose sight of the hope for a cure, this is an attainable goal which we can realize in our lifetime through the generous support of folks like your listeners. Thanks in advance for your time, Pally. Jerry the Abundant Guy. Well, you're welcome, Pally. This Sunday, October 6th, uh, the American Diabetes Association Walk for Diabetes. And you can find out more by calling one triple eight diabetes and checking on the net www.diabetes.org slash walk. Got it? Good. Oh, and speaking of doing things this weekend, besides the Dolphin Patriot game, I'm sorry, the Patriot Dolphin game, review on CNN. Dragon worthy follower to lambs. You gonna go out and see that today? Uh, probably not today. No, what you said is you're gonna get a bootleg copy of the movie is what you told oh, me. Is that what I said? Something like that. Out loud? Which I thought was disgraceful. Not that I won't go see it and rent the DVD. And now, is that, that going to be before or after you go see our Steve M. and Davey? I don't know the address. Oh, Petey Lenny will give it to you. Okay. You notice he wasn't in there today? Thank God for that. Oh! Boy, maybe I scared him off yesterday by finally outing him, getting him out of the closet, what a yenta he is, running around a building, starting all these damn rumors. Go away, Petey, okay? And take your maltitol with you while you're at it. 
In Red Dragon, the prequel to 1991 sequel of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins, who won an Academy Award for his earlier portrayal. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Dracula Dragon also achieves the near impossible. It washes the bad taste out of your mouth from the hideous sequel to the Lambs, The Despicable Hannibal. Yeah, that was pretty weak. The film's remarkable effectiveness is also due to the fact that Silence screenwriter Ted Talley rhymes with Pally, who won an Academy Award for Lambs, is back, along with a stellar cast including Emily Watson, Ralph Fiennes, Edward Norton, Mary Louise Parker, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Harvey Keitel. This story has been told once before in 1986 under the title of Manharder, star starring Brian Cox as Hannibal. <laughs> Not that Brian Cox. And directed by Michael Mann. This time the filmmakers have returned to the title of Thomas Harris' novel, Red Dragon, and this film is more true to Harris' original concept. Thank goodness. In a brilliant move, Tally begins the film with a cold open in which we meet Dr. Lecter in the early 80s. At the time, he's still a respected psychiatrist in Baltimore and a member in good standing on the board of local symphony orchestra. Then comes a series of brief and highly effective vignettes in which we see how Lecter is captured. Over the opening credits, we see newspaper headlines describing his crimes, the public's horrified reaction to them, and his subsequent imprisonment for life. As in Silence of the Lambs, the imprisoned lecturer is sought out by an FBI agent for help getting in the midst of another serial killer still on the loose. This time, the villain's a ritualistic butcher known as the Tooth Fairy, and the FBI agent is Will Graham. Graham is no stranger to Lecter. He is, in fact, the man who caught Lecter and, in the process, nearly died in Lecter's hand. Now Graham is retired, only to be lured back into service by his old boss, Jack Crawford. This may all sound very familiar to Lambs, but in this case we actually get to know the killer, whose real name is Francis Dolerhide, simply as D. Talley. Oh, as D. Talley, in fact, has given D. a compelling backstory, not including Harris's book. Watson, in another carefully nuanced performance, plays a shy blind woman named Reba, who works with D. and is attracted to his shyness. Reba also shares deep contempt for others who take pity on people with physical abnormalities. In his case, it's a cleft palate, which has resulted in a distorting scar on his upper lip. Don't give us no lip! Tally's tightly crafted script interweaves Graham's desperate search for the killer, the strange relationship between Dee and Reba, and Hannibal's diabolical efforts to manipulate the entire situation while secretly aiding and abetting Dee in his downward spiral into complete insanity. The film's enormous emotional punch comes from both the written word and the astounding acting provided by this remarkable cast. But there's one plot point for which you simply must suspend your disbelief or the rest of the film will drive you crazy. Lecter, who's kept under the most tightly guarded conditions, who is shackled head to toe whenever he leaves the cell, a hideous killer known for his devious cleverness, is allowed what appears to be complete access to mail communication. He's even allowed to place ads in newspapers with apparently no restrictions. That doesn't ring true. But it's all essential to the plot, so either let it go or don't go. The only other fly in the cinematic ointment is that the direction from Brett Ratner, a 2000s family man in two Rush Hour movies, is fairly pedestrian. You can see the seams between the scenes. He even made a remarkable confession in a recent issue of Premier Magazine saying that there were days when he was screamed at at least once by every member of the cast. This is not a director in control of his film. The score by Danny Elfman is excellent, and the cinematography by Dante Spinotti from L.A. Confidential is stunning. This film may not sweep the Academy Awards of Silence of the Lambs, but it's good, solid entertainment that's well worth your time and money. Well worth your time and money, guys. Go see it. Let me know how it was. Okay. 12.13, I'm going to be watching some Adam Baldwin movies myself. 12.13 at 5.60 WQM. For years, you've heard us talk on this program about delights of West Boca. If you're on the Atkins diet, if you're on any low-carb diet, this is a store dedicated entirely to you. Not a place where you go in and there's like, you know, a half an aisle or maybe a little tiny uh, place off in the side of one aisle where they have a few uh, low-carb items. The entire store, delights of West Boca, is dedicated to you. Can you imagine having a little low-carb, no-fat, delicious scoop of ice cream on a hot day like today? Is it hot there? Are you kidding me? Boiling. Well, it's it's hot here for like this time of the year. It's like 79 today. How about over a 1,000 low-carb, no-sugar products just ready for you to taste? Because at Delights of West Boca, as we always tell you, you can try before you buy. And at Delights, it's 25% off all Atkins products, 
all the time. On Sukkot, on New Year's, on uh, Purim, all the time. From candy to cookies, snacks, breads, and vitamins, Delights of West Boca's got it all with more great stuff arriving every day, like the new controlled carb brownies they just got in and four delicious flavors for all you brownie hounds out there, like peanut, coconut, classic, and cherry. And they taste like your grandma used to make them. Delights of West Boca, located on the northeast corner of Glades and 441 in Boca, open every day, uh, seven days a week till 10. Call 1-877-LOW-CARB or check them out on the web at lowcarb.com. My and local. This is Sports Radio 560. QAQAM. Friday, you bastards. Coming up tonight on Inside the Behind the True Hollywood Celebrity Music Biography Profile Story. We take a good, hard, stiff look into stardom. For over a year now, Americans have been on alert, ready to seek out and eliminate one of the most foul, the most hideous blights on the well-being of our nation. That's right. It's the Dell Computer Guy. Uh, I would tie that guy to a board, shove an M80 up his ass, and see if I could blast him out of the Earth's atmosphere. Americans have given a lot of thought as to how they would like to punish the most annoying commercial spokesman ever. Now, if I could, what I would like to do is impale him on his own femur bone and then suck out his brains with a straw. Yes. It is this very attitude of public hostility that has led the Dell computer guy into group therapy with his fellow commercial spokespeople. Tonight, you'll see exclusive footage of a typical session led by Dr. Robert Cole. Okay, last time, son, we were talking about your compulsion to be a really irritating asshole. Can we talk more about that? Dude, you're going to get a Dell. Yes, that's fine. Dude, you're going to get a Dell. Yes, fine. Can we move on to your friend here? Can you hear me now? Good. Dude, you're going to get a Dell. Can you hear me now? Good. Look, you guys. Oh, no, please don't no. squeeze the Charmin. No, always have to be lucky. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Always have to be lucky. Please don't squeeze the Charmin. Always have to be lucky. Shut up! God, I'd like to impale you on your own femur bones and then suck out your brains with a straw. The Dell Computer Guy. The latest in a long line of annoying f***s. It's a big, juicy, sopping wet look at show business. Tonight, I'm inside the behind. Okay, one of those damn pop-up ads has screwed up my, uh, you know, it's frozen oh. everything on here. So I guess I'll read this off of the uh, thing. President Bush Monday night will give his first primetime televised speech uh, devoted to the threat posed by Iraq. And we'll stress that time is running out for Baghdad to disarm, U.S. officials said today. The official said Bush was ex not expected to wish an ultimatum to Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein, however, as he attempts to convince other members of the U.N. Security Council to approve a tough new resolution against Iraq. The officials who spoke on condition of anonymity, of course, said Bush will deliver the address in Cincinnati, Ohio. The address will give the president who charges that Saddam represents an imminent threat a chance to talk directly to the American people about Iraq. Okay? Well, that wasn't so bad. How come okay. this thing is still frozen up like that, though, you know? Bad karma. Really huh? Bad karma. No, it's just that uh, when the pop-up ads uh, get in there, they get uh, stuck in the middle. You know, you just get frozen. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. Yes. Come on, let's go, let's go on here. Here we go. You have to keep punching and banging. Look at that. Can't even end the goddamn task. Another thing is shutting down. Oh, Jesus. Lawmakers reached deal on $3.9 billion election overhaul bill. House and Senate negotiators reached a deal today on a $3.9 billion election overhaul bill that would help states pay for replacing punch card voting systems and impose new ID requirements on voters who register by mail. The impetus for legislation was the furor over the stalemated 2000 presidential election, which eventually was stolen weeks, I mean, decided weeks later by the Supreme Court. 
Can't wait till we get a story on uh, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court on New Jersey, you know what? We'll get to eventually. Key lawmakers, see, if they're if they're like honest about this, they got no business interfering <laughs> in that. If they're huh? honest. I said if. Okay. I have my legs crossed, by the way. Key lawmakers reached the deal on legislation after an all-night negotiating session. They plan to announce it at an afternoon con uh, news conference today. Congressional officials be saying. We have a deal, one House aide said, speaking on the condition of anonymity. We have an agreement. We have an understanding. Isn't that what the bishop said? We have an understanding. In Godfather 3? Yes. 398 votes on the poll. Who would you prefer to have as uh, leader of the free world right now? Bill Clinton, 232, 58%. George W., 75. Uh, Tony Blair, 63. And Al Sharpton, 28, who wants to throw his thing in the ring. Who wants to throw his nose in the ring. Let's see, this was uh, from the Baltimore Sun yesterday. Drown out drums of war with a sound of dialogue, writes Norman Solomon. Who is Norman Solomon? He's executive director of the Institute for Public Accuracy, which sponsored the U.S. delegation to visit to Baghdad last month. The conventional wisdom in Washington is that it's pointless or reckless for Americans to speak with Iraqi officials, but some on Capitol Hill are beginning to think otherwise. Last month, for the first time since George W. Bush became president, members of Congress, four Democrats, visited Baghdad. Hopefully more will be making the journey later this fall. Representative Nick Rahal, a 13-term congressman from West Virginia, started the trend in mid-September when he joined former Senator James Aberesk of South Dakota to lead a small delegation of Americans to Baghdad. As a member of that group, I was impressed with the candor of the discussions during several hours of meetings with high-level Iraqi government ministers. The White House was initially low-key about our trip, but when three more congressmen announced they were heading off to visit Iraq last week, the White House press secretary swung into action. Eager to throw cold water... Ari uh, Fleischer, the Minister of Information, claimed that Mr. Rahal's visit did not turn out as he hoped it would because of the rough treatment he got from the Iraqis, the refusal to listen to him, to meet with him or talk to him. Actually, during face-to-face -face discussions with the Iraqis in Baghdad, there was plenty of listening, meeting, and talking. As Mr. Rahal noted in an interview in the, uh, on the Hill on September 25th, he repeatedly urged Iraqi officials to accept unconditional and unfettered access to UN weapons inspectors. And what's more, Mr. Rahal said, they did not reject my suggestions. Tariq Aziz, the Deputy Prime Minister scumbag with whom I met for over two hours, said, we'll give it careful consideration, we'll consult with our friends and allies, and I will consult with our leadership. Some prominent Republicans are now anxious to dampen prospects for future U.S.-Iraq dialogues involving members of Congress. On Sunday, when Democratic delegation members Representative Jim McDermott of Washington and Representative David Bonnier of Michigan appeared on ABC's This Week from Baghdad, a senator on the program went after Mr. McDermott with rhetorical guns blazing. Basically, he's taking Saddam Hussein's line, said Senator Don Nichols of Oklahoma, the GOP's assistant leader in the Senate. Mr. Nichols added that Mr. McDermott and Mr. Bonnier sounded somewhat like spokespersons for the Iraqi government. Senate Minority Leader Trent Lott of Mississippi called Mr. McDermott irresponsible and proclaimed he needs to come home and keep his mouth shut. But Mr. McDermott's retort was on target Monday during a CNN interview from Baghdad. What I would suggest, Mr. Lott, is to get on a Royal Jordanian airplane, fly over here and take a look. He's talking from absolute ignorance of what's going on on the ground, and I think you ought to be a little more careful about what he says in a country where we value free speech. The current smears and denunciations from Republican leaders indicate how threatening it can be when members of Congress won't defer to the White House on matters of international discourse. Generally, lawmakers excel at functioning as rubber stamps for people to senators when a president puts war at the top of the national agenda, but senators and representatives should move beyond their customary roles in order to breathe life into democratic processes and hold open the possibility of peace. While President Bush continues to insist that his administration has nothing to discuss with the Iraqi regime, dialogue could prove to be crucial. Edward L. Peck, 
A former U.S. chief of mission to Iraq recently pointed out, our government is constantly saying that there must be discussions between parties in disagreement to avoid or at least reduce the risk of war. India and Pakistan, North and South Korea, the Israelis and the Palestinians, the Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. So why don't we talk to Iraq? As it happened, two days after our delegation met with Mr. Aziz and Iraqi National Assembly Speaker Sadun Hamadi on September 14, the U.N. announced that Iraq had agreed to allow unrestricted access to U.N. weapons inspectors. This was a highly positive step that could lead to full inspections and effective disarmament in Iraq. It seems to me that if we're going to deal with this in a real and honest way, we have to create dialogue, Mr. Banyu said, during his visit to Baghdad. Unless war is their goal, elected officials in Washington should find ways to conduct more dialogue with Iraq in the very near future, says Norman Solomon. Common Dreams News Center, by the way, is where you can find us, although it was uh, published in the Baltimore Sun. That's a good website. You ever check that out? No, I haven't, but we get lots of faxes from there. Well, when in doubt, check it out, Common Dreams. Stop now. 26 at 560 WQAM. Tom Lehman's got some strange dreams, mostly about our morning show. Boy, he pines for those days of Defoe, you know, Joe and Defoe and Defoe and Joe. Just one of those things. Ask Tom about that when you go down and visit at Hallett Pontiac GMC. He'll go on for hours about it. And they love you people, the Neil Rogers listeners, so much. That's why they brought back the Neil Deal and Hallett. Save gigantic bucks in all Pontiacs and GMCs in stock. Just mentioned you heard us talking about them here on the Neil Rogers Show, and they'll practically give it away to you. Practically. Stop by Hallett Pontiac GMC, 13401 South Dixie Highway on US 1, right across the street from the falls where they've been going strong for over 35 excruciating years, where every vehicle right now is marked with the lowest price. And mention Neil Rogers Deal, save even more. Check out the complete line while you're there of GMC SUVs, including that Envoy, voted by Motor Trend as SUV of the Year, and the all-new Vibe SUV that's got the power of a big, gas-guzzling sports car. Hallett's also got a great selection of dependable pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. And like we always tell you, when it comes to credit, no matter who you are or what you are, what you make or what you got, they will cut you a deal at Hallett. So this is the place you want to do your shopping for a great deal, an unbeatable deal. Hallett Pontiac GMC, 13401 South Dixie Highway, US 1, right across from the prestigious falls open every day, seven days a week. Hallett Pontiac GMC, where they still say we are professional grade. My and local. This is Sports Radio 560. QA, motherfucking puffle on in my socks at night so they smell like your sister's crotch in the morning. Carmella and Tony back on my TV Holy macaroni I can't wait to see what happens with Melfi
that's uh, several important things you got to do this weekend, right? Soprano Sunday, right. for those who watch it, which is not me, but nevertheless. And, of course, uh, the new uh, Anthony Hopkins movie, the new, uh, what is it called? Red, Red uh, Dragon. Dragon. Dragon in. And uh, the Dolphin Patriot game, which George is the only one who won't be paying any attention to that. What? Where there are several, several gay players in there. Uh, and what's the other thing? Oh, and then 4 o'clock tomorrow morning, be sure and take right, PBS. Line. The Man I Knew, Frontline, by John O'Neill, the former FBI agent. Great. I'm telling you, it's a great piece. A lot of stuff we've been talking about here on the show, here on uh, Uncle Neil's Bedtime Stories. Here's another one. West Delray Priest Jailed as Threat to Community. That's from the Sun Sentinel, so there's an outside chance it could be true. A federal magistrate determined yesterday that a Delray Beach priest charged for soliciting what he thought was a 14-year-old boy over the Internet for a sexual tryst is a danger to the community and a flight risk who should be held in the Palm Beach County Jail until he goes to trial. Oh! The 14-year-old boy turned out to be an undercover Delray police detective who arrested the Reverend Elias Guimarius. How do you say that? Oh, I asked you that the first time. You don't right. know. No, I don't know. 43, when he showed up at the park for a September 9th meeting, Guimarius worked at Our Lady Queen of Peace Mission west of Delray Beach and was suspended from the ministry. Wasn't he from, like, Brazil? Okay. In emails, Guimarães bragged of having sex with a 14-year-old boy and a 16-year-old boy, according to his arrest report. Assistant U.S. Attorney Lothrop Morris revealed during yesterday's bond hearing that the younger boy is from Del Rey and the other is from Boca. U.S. Magistrate Judge Ann Vitunic asked him if federal investigators have yet been able to identify them. We're currently trying, Morris said. We're looking at his America Online account. We don't have all the info yet. Investigators seized two computers from the church after the priest's arrest. One of those computers was in Guimarães' bedroom. Computer forensics experts are examining them for evidence. Squirt, squirt. In asking that Guimaras be held without bail, Morris said the charge is considered to be one of violence under federal law. He also argued that the native of Brazil... See, what did I tell you? You got a memory I got, mm -hmm. man. Has no ties to the community and was set to return to Brazil in a few weeks. He said Guimaras faces about five to six years in prison under sentencing guidelines. The weight of the evidence in this case is overwhelming, he said. The defendant is a danger to the community. Morris also prosecuted the rabbi Gerald Levy of Boca, who was sentenced to six and a half years in prison last year in a similar case. Morris pointed out to the judge that she ordered Levy held without bond, a decision upheld by the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta. CIA hiding vital facts. This is like a follow-up to the story we had yesterday. CIA hiding vital facts, Senator Bobby Graham says, our good old beady-eyed senator. Senator Bob Graham, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, accused the CIA yesterday of not providing vital information about Iraq that senators need before they vote on a resolution to authorize U.S. military strike. We're being asked now for the first time in U.S. history to launch a preemptive strike against another nation, and right now we're lacking all the information necessary to make that decision, the Florida Democrats said. In response to criticism from Graham and other senators, CIA Director George Tenet met briefly with the chairman and plans a full briefing for the committee today. Graham is known for caution, and his sharp criticism reflected growing frustration on the committee over what he called CIA obstructionism. His comments came as the Senate began a historic debate over how much latitude to give the president in the use of force. A resolution backing the use of force is likely to pass by a wide margin, several senators said, but some Democrats and a few Republicans who may support the resolution have misgivings about the information they're getting. Graham, Illinois Democrat Richard Durbin, and other senators specifically asked for information and analysis on how war against Iraq would affect other Mideastern nations and the war against al-Qaeda terrorists that was purposely omitted from a national intelligence estimate given the committee Tuesday night, two months after the committee asked for it, Graham said. That report focused narrowly on Iraq's work on weapons of mass destruction, several committee members said. One staffer who spoke, of course, on condition of anonymity, like everybody else, said the committee also seeks information on covert CIA operations in Iraq and how the CIA would fit into an invasion plan. 
There are some big gaps in information I want to see filled the next few days, said Graham, after hearing by the Senate and House Intelligence Committees on the 9-11 investigation. Senator Richard Shelby, Republican of Alabama and Vice Chairman of the Senate panel, said he's convinced the threat from Iraq is urgent, but said it's somewhat insulting that the CIA has not been more cooperative. I've got the information I need to make a decision regarding Iraq, and I think the President's correct. We need to be ready to take action, he said. Durbin said the White House was pushing hard for the resolution while restricting intelligence. The CIA has been dragging its feet on the National Intelligence Estimate, which I consider to be a crucial document before this nation goes to war, Durbin B. Sand. John Walker Lynn B. Sand. I don't want to see him anymore, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Even, I, even cleaned up. Uh, no, I don't want to see him under any circumstances. He is one of the smarmiest. If there was anybody of any sex, if there was anybody over there with an organ who was touching him, oh, I'm getting the willies. And I shouldn't be thinking about that so close to lunchtime, you know? Although he's no Richard Ramirez. John Walker Lynn told military and FBI questioners he believed the 9-11 attacks were the first of three waves. See, there you go again with that anti-beaner thing yours, you know? He's a beaner? Richard Ramirez? The shoe bomber? His name isn't Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez was the rapist. Oh, sorry. The shoe bomber's name is Reed. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Richard Ramirez, the shoe bomber. Let me ask you something. I don't know what you read. <laughs> I don't. But it sure ain't the good say so, yeah. You better you better stop uh, you know going over to Steve M's house in Davies so much, you know, cuz I, I think I, knew I think was. what you read is being affected by your bad weed. I think is what's happening there. It's lack of weed. Richard Reed was the shoe bomber. Richard Ramirez was the uh beaner out there That's who was right. the uh, raper, rapist and uh mur right. murderer and uh, child uh killer. Engine killer. Now can I get back to poor John Walker Lynn Paul Lind? Told military and FBI questioners he believed the 9-11 attacks were the first of three waves of terrorist strikes against the U.S., according to secret documents obtained by CNN. Ooh. <laughs> of course, they neglect to mention in this story, which is on their website, of course, yesterday, that the second wave was supposed to be, uh, when was it? In November of 2001. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the other one was supposed to be this last spring of 2002. Did either one happen? No. No. Walker Paul Lynn, the first American prisoner taken in Afghanistan as a Taliban fighter and scheduled to be sentenced today, also said he turned out an offer to take part in suicide attacks against the U.S., and he believed as many as 50 operatives had been sent on missions against the U.S. and Israel. These secret documents are summaries of his first interrogations by U.S. Special Forces troops on December 1, 2001, and of three interrogations conducted by FBI agents in Afghanistan December 9 and 10. The FBI's interrogation report says Walker Lynn related that after 9-11, one of his former al-Qaeda training camp instructors said that Osama bin Laden said this was the first attack. The group speculated that the second attack would involve attacking nuclear facilities, oil and gas pipelines, or some kind of biological attack, speculated being the operative word, because now as the hours are going by, CNN is admitting more and more that this was just them uh, guessing. It wasn't based on anything, on any fact. Walker Lynn's lawyers had sought to suppress these documents as evidence, saying they were made under duress, but that was before they reached a plea bargain with federal prosecutors in July. In that bargain, Walker Paul Lynn agreed to plead guilty to charges that he supplied services to the Taliban and carried an explosive during the commission of a felony, just like Richard Ramirez Reed. Walker Lynn is expected to be sentenced to 20 years in prison today. Live and local, this is 560. The radio's all yours now. QAM. Bread 'em and say cheese. Smoke the pot, smoke the pot. Some of the men smoke the pot. Twenty games out, what's the point? Who can blame them if they need a joint? Cause Bobby Valentine's Mets just can't succeed without a nickel bag of premium weed. Rolling papers, roach 
cliffs and a waterfall. Oh. Maybe next year during the draft they'll get Cheech and Chong. Yes. Well, instead of beer and hot dogs, vendors will be selling grass under a cloud of smoke. And it won't be a foul ball that could knock you on your ass. Hey, take another talk. Cause the New York Mets just want to get high. Stand around and wave at planes in the sky. I know why Sid Fernandez had such a gigantic ass. Too many snacks. We're not suggesting that Sid the Kid was smoking any wacky weed. Just probably a coincidence. That's a long time ago. 422 votes in our pool. Who would you prefer to see as the leader of the free world right now? With all the crap that's going on. How's that market doing, by the way, George? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That Ooh. was down one, 116, and the Thank NASDAQ's you. down 16, and its uh, curbs are in, and uh, people are stopping and taking a dump on the curb. Wow. Curb your dog and curb your appetite for stock. Let me tell you that right now. Bad news. 422 votes. Bill Clinton, 244. Like I said, it's changing again. 424 votes. Bill Clinton, 245, like I just said. Uh, George W. Bush, 82. Tony Blair, 65. And Al Sharpton, 32. Let's hear it for Al. Oh! GOP takes Senate fight to high court. And, of course, we know the Supreme Court don't play politics, right? <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Republicans appealed to the Supreme Court yesterday in hopes of keeping New Jersey Democrats from replacing Senator Robert Torricelli on the November ballot. Senator Bill Frist, Republican in Tennessee, chairman of the Senate GOP campaign committee, delivered the request by hand. Republicans want the Supreme Court to block a unanimous ruling from New Jersey's highest court. The New Jersey court ruled Wednesday that Democrats may place popular former Senator Frank Lautenberg on the ballot in place of Torricelli, who was admonished by the Senate this summer after an ethics investigation. In other words, you can't complain about Bob's ethics because he don't have any. Torricelli said Monday he was dropping out of the campaign against Republican challenger Doug Forrester out of concern that his party would lose control of the narrowly divided Senate. Republicans want the high court to rule the New Jersey matter, ruling unconstitutional on grounds that a court and not a state legislature set the times, places, and manner of a congressional election. The filing also contended that the state court decision could improperly strip voting rights from New Jersey residents overseas, such as those serving abroad in the military. Some ballots already have been mailed with Torricelli's name on them. It is clear that the New Jersey Supreme Court overstepped their authority, overriding the will of the people, first said after living the paperwork. The change in the swish on the ballot is illegal. There was no immediate word on whether the high court would block the ballot move or hit the Republicans' broader appeal. GOP elections uh, lawyers said they expect an answer within two days. The request was addressed first to Justice David Souter, who handles appeals from New Jersey. Democrats control the Senate by one seat, so the New Jersey race, as we all know, could be key in the November 5th elections. And we know the Supreme Court ain't going to play politics on this one. Make no mistake about that. The same uh, Supreme Court that stole the election two years ago, they're not going to do it again, are they? Yes. 
Iranian artist in trouble over Kiss. A well-known Iranian actress has landed herself in an award-winning young film director in court for kissing him on the forehead and shaking his hand in public. Oy! You ready for that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Etamad newspaper reported, uh, reported that Gohar Kirandish made her display of affection last week after Ali Zamani was chosen as best filmmaker at a film festival in the central city of Yaz Yazid. The incident triggered protest in the Islamic Republic where any physical contact between unmarried and unrelated men and women is strictly forbidden, verboten. No se permisa aquí. The two have since apologized for their behavior, insisting it was a spontaneous gesture. She kissed me like a mother kisses her child, Mr. Zamani said, but this did not prevent the head of the local Justice Department ordering their arrest for disturbing public morality. Mr. Zamani appeared in court on Wednesday, was released on bail of uh, what, uh, 2500 bucks. Ms. Karandish is reportedly returning to Yazid to face the charges, to face the music. Conservative newspapers condemn them. How do you like that? Our okay. enemies are trying to harm Islam through our culture, and this event is an example of that fact, said an editorial in Yaleserat Weekly. Iranian cinemas received high acclaim in recent years at international festivals, but remain subject to restrictions and oppressive laws at home. Filmmaker Tamina Milani, known for her liberal feminist views, was arrested last year for allegedly supporting counter-revolutionary groups. How do you like that? I'll fry their ass. Our good friends, the Iranians, man. Another bunch of barbarians. How come they're not evildoers, you know, when you come right down to it? There are evildoers. This oh, time. that's right. I forgot about that. Well, not not quite. Not since the Shah got uh, his ass yanked. Since they pulled out his fingernails. Mad Dog coming up at one. He's enough to make you pull out your fingernails and get you right on the edge of your seat as we're working up to that big game on Sunday, man. You can you can smell the pressure, baby. Wow. It is intense. Man, it's uh, heavy duty. Hank Goldberg at three. We got the Dave Wonstadt show with Hank 530. And then we got that uh, college football crap. Sports Radio 560, QAM. Friday, you bastards. Mr. Lecter, save me a piece. Go, 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 go. I'm disappointed you passed on Clarice. Still eating people right after you kill them. Twelve fifty-five at five sixty WQAM. Talk about evildoers. Well, before we get to that, because I, I neglected to uh, promote Miguel's thing again this morning. Well, oh. She probably didn't have anybody there anyway, huh? Whatever. 
Join Joe. You don't care. Join Joe Costello three to five at the Publix located at thirteen ninety five North uh, Southeast Seventeenth Street in Fort Lauderdale for the Mike's Hard Lemonade NASCAR giveaway this afternoon. Stop by to win prizes, register, win two tickets for the Homestead Speedway race in November, and be sure and join Little George at Jared Jewelers tomorrow at sixteen thirty North Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale one three. Stop by to win prizes, register, to win trip for two to see the Dolphins pound the crap out of a girls team, the Jets, in New York, no less. Now, you want to know who the real evildoers are, or some oh, of them? Okay. Federal regulations prohibit any broadcaster from owning more than eight radio stations in a single market. But in San Diego, along California's southern border, industry giant Clear Channel Communications, Inc. has figured out a way around the rules. And that's left its smaller competitors fuming. By cutting deals to take over the programming of five Mexican stations, including two in May, Clear Channel has grabbed nearly 50% of the San Diego market's radio advertising dollars, according to estimates from research channel firm BIA Financial. The FCC exempts four known stations from being counted toward the maximum of eight. Altogether, the exemption and the other loopholes have allowed Clear Channel to take control of 13 stations beaming signals into San Diego. The San Antonio-based Grave Robbers, the nation's biggest radio broadcaster, have more market share here than any other top 20 market, according to BIA. With antennas within sight of the U.S.-Mexico border and signals directed north, Clear Channel's so-called X stations, the Mexican outlet's name starts with X, have become the key to a power struggle in San Diego radio. Smaller radio companies protest that media conglomerate not only has sidestepped federal law by taking over the Mexican stations, but that it's using its size to muscle advertisers. Muscle advertisers! Absolutely correct, sir. Critics say Clear Channel is throwing its weight around with advertisers in dozens of other markets where it's got concentrated power, as your government once again destroys another industry. The radio business destroyed it, butchered it, ruined it, killed it. Jefferson Pilot Communications, a smaller broadcaster that owns four San Diego radio stations, said in a complaint filed with the FCC in March that the exemption Clear Channel is exploiting has resulted in a serious competitive imbalance in San Diego and permitted the very market dominance Congress sought to preclude by establishing station ownership caps. Jefferson Pilots asked the FCC to revise its rules and count any station that places a signal in the U.S. radio market and directs significant programming and sales efforts there. In its basic pitch, Cheap Channel tries to sell advertisers on the idea that if they spent all their radio dollars on the company stations, they'd receive bonuses such as free spots on its lower-rated stations. Even if they reject the idea of handing their entire ad account to one company, some media buyers in San Diego say they must buy spots on Clear Channel stations because it's tied up control of certain coveted demographic groups, including men ages 18 to 34. Some advertisers say that means they must pay Clear Channel's price or stay off the air. It's called monopoly, you idiots up there at the FCC, you morons. It's called a freaking monopoly. I can get proposals from five or six uh, different Clear Channel stations like their carbon copies, said veteran San Diego ad buyer J.C. Cordero. For someone targeting certain demographics, they're really heavy between a rock and a hard place. It's David and Goliath, and right now, Goliath is winning. John Hogan, not the driver, recently appointed chief of Clear Channel's 200 station radio division, said his company size has actually helped media buyers by allowing them to engage in one-stop shopping. Some, he said, find that deserve One-stop shopping, isn't that a clever way to put it? Put all your marbles in our basket because yeah. it's the only basket of tasket. Stick it in our basket. Clear Channel acquired control of the Mexican station through so-called exclusive sales agreements in which the company pays a fee to the license holder in exchange for the right to sell airtime for and program the station. The antennas for the Mexican stations tower over an impoverished Tijuana neighborhood just five miles south of the border, but the bulk of these stations broadcast from a sleek glass office building in northern San Diego where Clear Channel houses its U.S. licensed stations. For listeners, discerning between Cheap Channel's Mexican stations and its stations on this side of the border is difficult. One promotes itself as San Diego's hit music channel and plays the latest offerings from Shakira and Justin Tinkerbell. Another is your home for hip-hop and R&B, thunking out Jay-Z and Nelly. Another station was advertised as My 80s, 90s, My Music, plays softer hits such as uh, Michelle Branch. 
for the most part, the only clue that radio here is different comes just once an hour during government-mandated station IDs. How do you like that? The people who destroyed this business. Who would you prefer to have as the leader of the free world? we got 438 votes. Bill Clinton, uh, 256. George W. 83. Tony Blair, 66. And Al Sharpton, God help us, 33. Bye, bye, bye. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Hey, where's my bourbon?